I want you to have a safe environment where you'll feel okay beating the shit out of my car. I want you to drive it. I want like it's not going to happen because it, if I blow that motor <laughs> up, it'll cost me forty thousand dollars to replace, and it's just like no, no, Chris, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I have been waiting for this. I have been waiting for this. <laughs> what is been... this? This is the episode. Okay, so first of all, uh-huh. this is going to be fun. I think this okay. is going to be a ton of fun. We have uh, some special guests coming on. We have like Mike it. Burrows. This is just today. We have okay, Just so, today. Just today. So we have three episodes. This is a three-part series. Three-part series. Okay. And we have 12 guests. Wow. So we are... Yes, 12 guests. So if guests. you're bored of just hearing us, you're in luck. <laughs> you're in luck. So today, uh-huh. we have Mike Burrows from Stanceworks. Yeah. We have Ron Zaras from Hoonigan. Oh. We have Austin Cacavo from yep. uh, AC Solutions. He's like a BMW. His family's BMW, you know, royalty or whatever. And we have Paul House, okay. who is a de- designer at McLaren. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, we had him on the show. So those are the four guests that we have today. And we've got other guests coming up. We've got uh, Drew Manley from Cool Collective. we got yep. Magnus Walker. We, oh, I man. mean, it is... It is stat. I'm excited. You know why I did why? this? So what is this? Okay. So I wanted I wanted to really prove that I wasn't the only one that felt the way that I feel. Okay. That the 911 uh-huh. is the most overhyped sports car that money can buy. Specifically, and you can argue with me if you do not agree. That, okay. That's fine. Specifically, the air-cooled 911. I will say for the money, Yes. I kind of feel that way too, and that's kind of what these and episodes it's, are it's about. Fairly only recently, like ten years ago, they weren't as valuable as they are now. Right? No, and what do you attribute that to? Like, what what do you attribute the <sighs> the the values? Well, it's, it's popularity. Is all it comes down to, right? Supply and demand. There's a demand now for air cooled 911s. They became cool. Whether that's why like social media to blame. Whether it's just like. I don't know. It's not. It's not really pop culture. Like it's not. What is pop, popular well, pop culture? Pop culture is not the same thing it was twenty years ago, right? You know, pop culture. But is, you think when I say pop culture, I'm thinking like, well, it, there aren't a bunch of like movies or like music videos that came out that have old 911s in them. Like, right. Well, that's that's I think when people think pop. I don't culture. think there are music videos anymore, unfortunately, which is kind of a bummer because right. music videos that's were what MTV. Yeah, used to were be. pretty sweet. So pop culture has shifted. Okay. From. What we used to think of in terms of movies, music, like yeah. you said, uh, maybe it could be television, art, right? Just yeah. like books, yep. you know, all exactly. these like media. It's, basically, it's popular culture. Exactly, is basically what it is. Now, popular culture, pop culture has shifted and it's uh-huh. blurry. Okay, so hmm. pop culture used to have a large influence on everything. And sure. This is idea I'm just coming up with off the top of my head because you kind of spurred spurred the concept. But it's it's a very blurry thing where you know pop culture used to be easily defined as these certain things. Right. Like pop music was because it was the popular, it was the popular music. mainstream thing. Right. And, and, that was a and big then it, and then it evolved, of course, culture. into being like not just necessarily the popular music, but it became a subgenre. A sub-genre. Yes. Anyway, so now we have pop culture that has shifted into, especially with younger generations, into social media. Right. Right. So you have pop culture right. is like YouTube. Can memes be considered pop culture? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like 
there's all kinds of different forms of it. YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit. There's all these different things that influence popular culture. Which is all social media. Social media. And I think with the Porsche 911 that we are stuck in a social media feedback loop. Okay. Where the cost of being cool has no upper limit to those who want to buy in. Okay, okay. so you can you can visibly see. And now you as a person can be part of pop culture in a small way you can be part of that is that's what is that what hap- what is happening i think so more people want in to this particular thing that is defined as cool is which defined is as cool, cool because you can you can now it is a metric that is okay so i consider i consider cool pretty hard to capture yeah i think it's something that is very nuanced and and, and difficult to describe but it means different things to different people you know, obviously, what I think is cool, you might not think is cool. I don't like Birkenstocks. You like Birkenstocks. I don't like vests. You're wearing a stupid vest. Okay? This is not a vest. This is it a, looks a, like a vest. It I might as well love, be a vest because you wear vests, vests all the time. All the time. Okay, love so we, we, we have different ideas of what cool is. Sure. But still, you can go on social media. You can type in some hashtags. You can find an account. You can look at that account. You can see how many followers that account has. Yeah. And you can see how many likes a certain thing is. And you can gauge a metric of what is cool how much influence it has on the social media platform. So yes, then you that's, can... That's a subconscious process, though. It's not like people are going around going, I wonder what's cool this you week. You want to bet? You think people I, are that vain and shallow that they're like, what is cool this week? I want I don't to think be it's part necessarily, of this. So what has the most likes? What is the most popular on people, social media? I think some people do. I think the large majority of people, like you said, do it subconsciously. Right. It's like you're scrolling. You're like, oh, that's cool. And... What I'll do, I'll just out of curiosity, maybe because we manage a social media account, but like I would never look at the number of likes or followers, but I do now to say like, oh, this is really cool. I wonder if this is like a popular account just out of curiosity, not because I'm only going to like it if it is popular. Social media is a currency and it does, def- you do uh, have social media wealth as you can have social media wealth as an individual yeah. based on the follower count, which is basically just vanity. Right. You know, follower I, count is I was vanity. Say, however, I think we're old. However, follower count is vanity. Yes. Like count is currency. How? See, because you can look at something. What is the actual value? You can't trade that. The value is it's bullshit. Absolutely. Why do you think Nokian gives me a free set of tires? Well, I get them too, and I don't have many followers. No, but but you're part of Overcrest and Overcrest. You're right, by so it does it does have value, right? It does have it has right. value in the terms of plus if you. Um, some accounts are big enough that you can just have money. You yeah. can just have money for doing this or saying this. It right. does have yeah, sponsored. It does content. have value based on the amount of people you yeah, can reach and right. and engage. Therefore, that uh, that wealth that you have, uh-huh. which is a tangible number that you can see, right? People see that and go, "I want that wealth." What was generated by that person yeah, that yes. gave them that wealth? Wow, 9-11s, wow, everybody's got one. Everybody's getting crazy likes. Everybody must really like that. And it, it might not be, I want to be cool, so I'm doing that. But it definitely will absolutely influence your subconscious decisions on right. what That's, you're looking at, I what you're agree. buying. So, okay. here's, so now we're stuck in a feedback loop. Well, here's my question, though. If, you know, we know 9-11s have become super popular, and I hope we're not, like, pinholing ourselves. Because what we you should say, this entire series of episodes is going to be other cars that are as cool yes. or cooler than the 911. As, as so far as I'm concerned. Just because we're talking about 911s. That's my concern. So with that out of the way, what I was going to say is, who are these people then 
that see, okay, the old 911 is cool. Were they into cars before? Were they muscle car guys? Were they into something else? Were they I, don't, the JDM I think crowd? a lot of people weren't even into cars. And they're like, but I'm going to get a 911 because it's cool. I, I absolutely think that that's the case. I mean, why do people, why do like dudes buy Lamborghinis to show up at Cars and Coffee, but they don't do anything else with them? Okay, like we are in a culture, you and I are in a culture where we live this. Right. Like, the other I don't thing care is, about other than my family and friends. I don't care anything, uh, care about anything as much as I care about driving, cars, right. exploring, everything. It's my life. Yes, it okay? is. It is my fucking life. More than anyone for I know. For better or for worse, it yes. is my life. Um, but other people, it's not their life, but they want a slice of the life or they want to show off or they want to spend their money and use that. And, it, and it's all influenced by the social media feedback loop that, all right, 9-11s are cool. Magnus Walker film comes out, mm -hmm. right? And blows the door open on the 9-11, okay? Mm -hmm. That was the period of time a lot of things happened during that time. Bring a Trailer started to grow, okay? So now that now it wasn't so hard to find cars. It used to be difficult to find cars. True. You used to have to jump around Craigslist. Facebook Marketplace didn't exist. All of a sudden, these things start to evolve, and it becomes easier. The, the access to cool becomes easier than ever, okay? So then the, the, then the economy of it starts to go up, right? Because... Supply and demand is a thing. Oh, yeah. Okay, so now everybody wants a 911, and the prices go through the roof. Yep. Because there's this feedback loop of the more people want it, the more people want it. And the more that people have it, the more people want it. And then all of a sudden, they get expensive, and now, now, now it's a thing where it's like you can't have it unless you have the money. So then the people with the money, they want it. Okay, so it's like yeah. this, this ever-increasing feedback loop. And I, it happens with other cars too, but I think the 911 is a very special case. Do you of, think that's because we're just in it? Are there other like because no, people, I talk, you I've, can say that about like a 70 Cuda, you know, 20 years ago, right? Like the the muscle car era. Yeah, but those dudes were like they were like they would go to the store and they they would just buy things that they thought looked cool and put them in the car, like terrible seats, terrible wheels. They didn't really have taste. They weren't influenced. Well, a lot of them are like period correct, like absolutely concourse. Well, not that even is based on their like, previous life experience, yes. not influenced from pop culture. And so maybe some pop culture from back then, but not social media like it is today. It's not the same. There's no way it's the same. What about like a Mark IV Supra? Like Fast and the Furious, same thing. They were expensive, but now they're like, holy shit. Right. Okay, so it's the same. Well, that's why I'm wondering, is it just the 911? Oh, of course not. Okay. No, but I think that this is, for what you get, yeah. in terms of performance, and we'll talk about this as we go, okay? There's okay. lots of, you know, lots of reasons, okay. and I give, so, I give more reasons as so we go along. So we've established that the 911, air-cooled specifically, the entire gamut, the run of them, That's right? right. The entire, like, 993 all the way back to our early long hoods, they are not what? What, do you, what is your, okay, let what me, is your let, hypothesis, or what are you stating here? There's a, there's a lot, okay? So we're going to go through. I don't want to state my hypothesis right up front. I'm going to give you some criteria for which I chose these cars, Okay, so and one th why are we looking at cars, though? What's the point? Because we're trying to... F let me get there. Okay, so okay. we're going to choose some cars. The criteria for cars that uh, have a vibe rating that is equal to the 911, a vibe rating. Vibrate. Okay. okay. I was like, what? The vibrating. The vibe. The vibrating. We're going to give a vibe rating. Okay. okay. Of how cool we think what the is car our is. scale? One to 10. One to 10. All right. And our criteria has to be older, preferably pre OBD2, which yep. is 1993. Yep. Okay. Uh, it needs to be unique, obscure, or rare. Okay. Uh, it's performance oriented, road rally oriented. It's capable. It's a capable car. It's a sports car. What about like heritage? Heritage. Very important. 
Um, that would be like I'm not even looking at your list. No, here, that's so okay. Don't, don't look at this because okay, there's, good. I great. don't want you. I'm to not list. going to. Is rear wheel drive, all wheel drive, or four wheel drive? Because so I don't, no front wheel no drive. No front wheel drive. That immediately takes it out. For me, that's out. What about an old Mini Cooper? That should totally be on the list. We'll talk about it. Okay. It's generally, these are that, that is like the next car for me. Okay. Just shut up. It's a, <laughs> shut up. All right. I'm disagreeing. I you understand. Said I could disagree. You, you can, I want you to talk as much as you want, make, so we can make this. <laughs> yeah. Make this fun. Shut up. And then as a vibrating one to ten. Okay. So we vibrating. have. Um, so what is what is your 911? My 911 on the vibe scale. Um, I would say my 911 on the vibe scale is a nine. Okay. I I absolutely. Is there anything that gets to ten? Uh, What's nothing. 10? No, nothing is a ten. A Ferrari. A, a Ferrari F forty is a ten, but it doesn't classify because it's a it's a million and a half dollars. Okay. Okay. So all of these cars Wait, okay, that I so chose, if your cars are nine. What's mine? I would say that your car is probably a seven. Hmm. I think it's a, a, a seven. I think one of the reasons. Okay, this is all right. So as <laughs> oh, no. we listen to the Joshi Ro, uh, Robots episode. Yeah. One of the reasons why people give me such a hard time about my car is because it's too nice. Yeah. And, and, and so you thrash it. And I thrash it, which is right. part of why the vibrating vibrating is higher than yes. yours. You don't drive your car very much. And it's not as nice. <laughs> and it's not as nice. It's not fast. You know, no. you have, you haven't had like a a, a journey with it. Sure. Yet. You've had a little bit, yeah. but like you haven't, ha you got a ways to go. Okay. I would do, say. Do you think people care about your journey with the car? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I, they're scrolling through Instagram and they see your car, they don't know you. They know the car. I, yes. Okay. And trust me. I've had a lot of interactions with people over the years. Okay. Oh, that was your car? Oh, like I just the other day. Oh, I, that was your, that's yours. I get it now. So it's okay. like, I, plus I, did you see that post that I made? That's, that was, uh. All, all 911 air-cooleds are, are overpriced. And then it said, Jesus hated the prophets because they knew he was right or yeah. whatever oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Dude, the interactions I got with that were <laughs> unbelievable. People agreeing, I'm assuming. Disagreeing. Oh. Everybody's like, have you ever driven a GT3? Have you ever had a, a 911 a 911 turbo? Have you experienced? I mean, it's 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 the great sound, and it's and these are people that have never driven them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Or had anything to do with them. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's, let's do this. Okay. And before we get into this, I want to challenge anyone to come on the podcast after we do the series yes. and try to prove me wrong. Okay. All I right. have a question before you dig in. I, I, okay, go ahead. So you currently are still without your car. Yes. We all know that. Yes. So is this your like mental way of like maybe, I don't know, seeing if you still want it? Or if there's something else? Oh, sure. Else? There's some exploratory stuff here. For, right? For like, sure. Is that what sparked this was like, man... I don't like the cool thing. Like you are anti, you're the, you're the counterculture. Yes. For sure you are. Yes. But now everyone wants in your boat with the 911. They sure do. And you haven't had your 911 for a while. You've had other things like, yes. you know, the driven to death car. Yeah. So all of these cars are cars that I could sell my car and buy. Okay. Value wise. And that's kind okay. of what you're exploring here. Yeah, of course. And I think okay. it's what everybody else with the 911 should explore too. I know. If you have an air-cooled 911, especially yes. an early car. Yeah. I've been looking at values. It, it, it is. Like, I mean, they're wow. anywhere from, like, for an SC that's a piece of shit, it's 40 grand, to uh, there's a car like mine that's a nicer version of mine, just sold for $250,000. It's ridiculous. Okay. And here's the thing. This is an overarching theme with all of this. Okay. Right? They made, how many of your car and my car do you think they I made actually don't early know. 911s? Guess. I overall production numbers worldwide 1965 to 1972. Yeah. Uh maybe oh 50,000? 100,000. Yeah. How many air cool cars total including impact bumpers do, cars do you think they made, well, they made from 1965 more. to 1996 or whatever it is? Like like 993. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, if that was fifty or hundred thousand, then yeah, like geez, uh, four hundred thousand, four hundred thousand cars. Okay, all right. That's I want you to consider the rarity of the car and how it is held up as being super special. Right, it's not that rare. It, it is. What you're it is not rare. That's yeah. an overarching theme. Interesting. For what we're doing. All right. So there are many heavy hitters on the. Oh, actually, do you have a anybody anything you want to tell anybody? Before we get into the into this, you got a, like an ad read or oh, I any, do. Like, I was like, what are you getting at? Talk about maybe. Something. I don't know why this is always surprising to me. Say, hey, yeah. wait a minute! I do have something to tell you guys. Tell me about Petrobox. I would love to. Petrobox is a monthly service. It's made for car guys and car girls, just like you, automotive enthusiasts. And each month, they select items, tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, sometimes even publications, magazines, and they deliver it right there to your doorstep. It's a really cool selection that's curated. It's the latest and greatest in the industry, and you can get it for as little as $19.95 a month. It's a great gift. It's also just really fun to get in the mail. I'm trying to think when... I think I'm due for another one. I am due as well. Right? Yeah. I'm trying to think what was in my last box. That was a while ago. It was. We better, I'm looking we forward better to find it. out what's going on. <laughs> I'm looking, I know. Uh-oh. I'm looking forward to it because it is really cool to get this in the mail. It's like, you know, when you get Amazon on your step. Yeah. And you have the box. You're excited about what's in the box. But guess what? What's in the you box? know what's in the box because yes. you ordered it. Yes. This, you know it's going to be cool. It's going to be exciting. And it's like Christmas because you don't know what's in it. It's true. That's true. Head over to mypetrolbox.com. Use code OVERCREST to check out, and that'll get you $6 off your first month. Check them out. They're great guys. It's great stuff. I love it. All right. I am, I have to say, and I'm, as you we were doing that, I was kind of, my mind was wandering. Um, as it does. As it does. And I was thinking about, like, I'm pretty angry about this. Why? Or resentful, I think. Because. Is it because it's something you love that now is. No, 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 no. It has become increasingly difficult for me to own the car. Right. Because of the cost of things. It's hard to justify. It's hard to justify to driving the car how I want to drive the car. Yes. When, guys, my engine rebuild is almost $40,000. Okay? And I think this is the first time I've said that publicly. Yeah. It's almost $40,000. And we'll, we'll talk about that whole process and how it got to that and everything later. But just think about that. $40,000... Is it a $40,000 driving experience? No. Mm. To me, no. And that's just the motor, by and the way. that's just the motor. I estimate my car is probably worth somewhere between $120,000 to $160,000. It's probably a fair yeah, I could see that. assessment of my car. Yep. All right. Knowing that. In today's market, which today's is crazy market. by itself, but I agree. It's fucking crazy. I don't understand it. All right. There are some heavy hitters on this list. Okay. But this car? Uh-huh. Well, it's not. It's legendary short wheelbase counterpart. This oh. is the closest you'll get to co-driving with God. Okay. Everyone says the E30 is God's chariot. Yes. It's not. Okay. This is. Oh. It broke the world when it debuted at the Geneva Auto Show in 1980. It was the first sports car with permanent all-wheel drive. Oh, yep. And there is a catchphrase that started with this car. Vorsprung der Technik, or lead by technology. Mm -hmm. It's so legendary that part of its name is taken from the first city ever to be created by man. What? Ur, a city in which, uh, what is now in present-day Iraq, and in Junaic myth, the home of Abraham and Sarah. Of course, this is the Ur Quattro. I thought UR was just shorthand for German word meaning original. Uh, it means original or first or whatever, but it, the first city ever created by man is known as Ur. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back then when it was launched, the Quattro was just... The Quattro, and that was that. 
But since there's so many Audis since that have had Quattro, yeah. what we call it the original is the Ur Quattro, the Got first, it. the yes. original, the, yes. the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the legendary, right? Yep. It's, it's the one. These were built in Ingolstadt by hand. Really? By hand. Each one of them was uh, built entirely by hand in how many days, do you think? Oh, geez. These cars were created by God in seven days. <laughs> okay. Fitting. So these actually what? created by man in seven days. Well, yeah, but, obviously. Uh, once completed, each vehicle went through a test program that is still the strictest Audi has ever used. I want to hear about it. And the engine went through its own test cycle, and the suspension was electronically checked. Then... It was run up to 160 kilometers an hour on a test stand and driven for 60 kilometers on public roads around Ingolstadt. This is every single car every that car. left the production. All, All the Urquatros, every wow. single one. First on ordinary roads and then on the Autobahn with a revelant of 4,000 RPM or 185 kilometers an hour. Then it went around an Audi test track to check the suspension. On each trip, two stops were made to check fluid levels. Any test vehicle involved in an accident was immediately scrapped with the components being recycled into later production. Finally, a rain test showered the car with 3,500 liters of water for 10 what? minutes while other Audis faced the same test for only 30 seconds. Wait, is that just to make sure there's no leaks? No leaks. Dude, my 911 would just fail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't even go through a car wash for 30 oh. seconds. Until recently, the only comparable program today is the construction of... Uh-huh. Guess. What is the only comparable program ever to even come close to this? I don't even, like a, I, I don't know. What, what kind of, what car, you're never going to guess, but I'm just wondering what you think. Any other I car, like. Mercedes are built very well. Mercedes so are built well. Mercedes. The Carrera GT. Really? The only other car that has had a test regime. That this particular. Of a production car. Of a production car. Yeah. Huh. Okay. This is a car you can actually work on. And what engine are you working on? Jay. The legendary five-cylinder naturally aspirated. Is it the 10-valve, uh, I believe? That is incorrect. It is a turbocharged 2.2-liter five-cylinder. It changed to a 20-valve in 1989. Now, not all of them were turbocharged. Uh, I believe all the Urquatros are 10-valve turbos until 1989. They uh, became 20-valve turbos. You might be thinking of like, uh, like a, a Coupe GT. Oh, I'm thinking or, the Coupe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And of course, you could not mention this car without mentioning its big brother. Right. The Sport Quattro. Yes. The S1. The, S1. the legend. This is this kind of reminds me. One of the things I like about my 911 yeah. is that when I get in it and I drive it, and like I'm at Road America and I get out and I walk around, there's an RSR over there. I can kind of go, yeah, it's the same thing, right? You kind of like, the that's pan what, is there. Yep. The pan's there. The engine's yep. technology is all. This is the same, right? right. So this is the legendary If you own car. a Quattro, yeah. you have Group B in your hands. And almost <laughs> nothing is cooler than that. Vibrating, 8 out of 10, Group B ties, 20-valve engine of possibility, and tuning potential is wild yeah, on both is. of those. They are. 1,000 horsepower. Let's do it. Box <laughs> flares. Okay? Yes. All-wheel drive system with locking differentials. Oh, it was, yes. And it still it is looks amazing. great. These are forty dollars to $50,000. Now, I got all these prices really? from Bring a Trailer, and I'll link all the prices in the, uh, Which is, in the show notes. Which is, let's be honest, like on the high end. Uh, forty. Yeah, I mean, you could probably I mean, it's, get. It's like this. That's a real price. For that's a, a real price. You could go forty and buy to fifty for grand. Yes. So you could have. I, mean, I should have done the pricing in nine eleven in like Chris's nine eleven. How 9/11. many nine eleven? It is point three. Chris nine eleven dollars at least. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna bring on Mike Burrows, who is building an Urquattro at the Stanceworks garage right now. To, I mean, this he's gonna agree with me one hundred percent. There's gonna be no equivocation whatsoever. Let's bring on Mike Burrows. 
Mr. Mike, how's it going, man? Not too bad. How about yourself? Good. This is, uh, I've been, I'm rubbing my hands together that we can finally commiserate on, uh, on a topic that we should be polar opposites on, but we, I think we've like come together. <laughs> An unexpected overlap. I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm eager to dive into this one. It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, being a, I don't know that I would call myself a Porsche guy, but I've been kind of stuck in the Porsche world now for almost 10 years. I've had, had my 911 and watching the evolution of Porsche. I've kind of like, you know, when I, when I first got it, I was like, man, this is the best fucking car. This is the best car I've ever owned. Nobody can tell me otherwise. I don't care what Mike says. They're fucking awesome. I love this car. And then all of a sudden, like the whole, like the community started to change and things started to get expensive. And I'm still like, this is the best car. I don't care. I'm not listening to anybody. It's the best car. And now I'm to the point now. And, you know, this whole podcast is about how the, the Porsche 911 is the most overhyped sports car of all time, especially when you consider values. And that was not necessarily me. I kind of just shunned that conversation. It was always kind of in the back of my mind. But you and I have had conversations over the years. Like I, we, I came down and you had uh, held onto the car for me a while and we switched cars and I drove the, the E28 that you had and you drove the Porsche and, you know, we were talking. And, and even then, you have exactly the same opinion that you have now because I talked to you about this off air. And I think that's really interesting. Like my opinion has kind of gone up and down over the last 10 years, but yours is almost exactly the same as the conversation we had like <laughs> years and years ago. What is your thought on the Porsche 911 in general as uh, as a car, as a, as a culture, everything else? That's so broad. Uh, I love it. I hate it. Um, <laughs> okay, so my philosophy is this. I've been asked this way more times than honestly probably anything else other than why did you rust that car and why did you put a Honda motor in your car? Um, why do you think that is, first of I, all? Why I, do you think people it, care what you think about a 911? I think it's because I'm, I'm probably outspoken about it, and I have a, I guess I have controversial hot takes or, or something, <laughs> if you will. I don't know. Um, the 911 holds this like really weird place um, in in my heart, if you will. I do believe that it's probably the most quintessential sports car of all. I think it's probably the most important sports car. Uh, but then the answer that kind of rises to the surface is I would be happy if I never heard the word 911 ever again. I never need to hear about them. I firmly believe I've seen everything that anybody could possibly do to a 911. Not, nobody could bring anything new to the table, no matter what you do. I don't need to see another one. I think that there's like a false rarity around them. Uh, they made hundreds of thousands of them. I don't grasp at all why they are as expensive as they are why the parts are so expensive and i just think that the community has decided to put the 911 on a pedestal so high higher above than anything else it towers over everything and i'm just tired of every other awesome car being in this immense shadow and it just it doesn't make any sense to me yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't Something really like understand that. it either because the number, you said hundreds of thousands, the number of impact bumper cars is over 300,000. 300,000. They yeah. made, of the of the early cars, uh, they made 100,000. They made 100,000 of my car. 100,000. 
So why am I paying $2,000 for a Fender when they made 100,000 of these cars? That's what I don't get. And, you know, I use the, the, so I'm a BMW guy, as everybody knows, and the comparisons that I always go to, and I'm not going to say that they're fair because, you know, supply and demand, right? But my favorite BMW is the E28 M5, favorite attainable BMW. Um, I think it is the quintessential like sports sedan. It's the first one, really. Um, And we're talking about when it came out, a family sedan with 285 horsepower, a twin cam M1 engine in it. I mean, this really cool, the fastest four-door car that had ever been built. It drives amazingly. Amazing experience to own. Um, you're being prophetic right now, but it's fine. You don't, you don't know that, but you're, you're, uh, you're speaking prophecy for, for this, for this whole episode, this whole series, but keep going. (laughs) The crazy part to me is, is that they only made like 2,246 of these cars somewhere in there. Um, that's not very many. That's quite few. And if you're talking about how many of them are left, you know, a fraction of that number, it's such a special car. It's it's the first M car anybody could really go buy outside of the M1, once again. Um, it's hugely important in car culture, to me at least. Now, I'm not going to say that it should be the same level as the 911. It's not. It doesn't have that heritage, that lineage, that racing pedigree, etc. But we're talking about like 20, 2,200 of these things. Mm-hmm. And I could go buy the nicest one right now for like probably 60K. It would buy me a, just a beautiful car. Beautiful, right. beautiful car one of 2200 um or let's switch gears let's go to the e30 m3 which arguably is as cool as the 911 it's the winningest car in motorsports history mm-hmm. the winningest touring car um i mean it wiped the floor with everything it ever competed against it's got a one-off body no other three series has it it's got the beautiful boxed fenders it's got the totally different roof line i mean truly a unique vehicle with a one-of-a-kind engine in it um, and these things are still commanding serious prices, but there's only 16,000 of them, period. Right. That's it. There are not any more of them. And that seems like a lot compared to the M5. Price, it seems like a lot. Yeah, it's a lot more. It's a lot more. Um, but, you know, 16,000 of them, I don't know how many are left. Tons of them have been wrecked. Tons of them have been turned into race cars, so on and so forth. And you can still go and buy, you know, as good as one can possibly get for a hundred grand. Right. And that's the nicest you know? one that and exists And a hundred grand would buy you just, yeah. I don't want anybody to quote me on that, but for all intents and purposes, absolutely. I mean, right. 60 to 70,000 bucks will buy you a show worthy car. You know, it'll buy you a really nice one. Um, a show worthy version of my car with- was just sold on bring a trailer for $255,000. A show worthy, like Albert blue, but like every nut and bolt is like played at two hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars. I just don't. That's get it. that's what five E thirty M threes. That's five. You could buy five of them. You could have. You could have an E thirty M three. I brought. You you're here to talk about the Urquattro, but this is fine. The E thirty M three. You could buy an M six, an E twenty four M six. You could have an E thirty nine M five. You could have an E twenty eight M five and an E thirty four M five and an E thirty six M three. You could have all of those cars. You could have every single one. Of the of the most legendary decade of manufacturing from any manufacturer of all time, you could have every single car. You could have all of them for the cost of that one yeah. car. It's just the the Porsche pricing. It's it's what derails the entire allure 
of those cars to me. I think they're amazing. I would love to own one, but when you compare it to what it costs, mm -hmm. it's very clear to me that it has been turned into, um, I, I don't know. I don't want to misspeak, but it, it's basically like pop culture has taken this car and again, put it on this pedestal that doesn't make sense it's an accessory at this point for a lot of these people. I mean, you meet car guys that aren't even into cars and they know the nine 11, they have to have a nine 11. It's, you know, Oh, well it's Sunday morning. I'm going to yeah. take the nine 11 out. And it's just, it's, I think it, what it is. And we, we talked about this in the intro. Car. It's yeah, for sure. I think it's the social media feedback loop. And when you say pop culture, I think pop culture goes beyond like what we would normally consider pop culture. And it's gotten into you know, the pop culture of social media and the currency of social media and what that car is, is the more you see it, it was like first to market with being like the the uh, the famous car on Instagram, social media, everything. So it has like this, this precedent 100%. of being like, it just, it goes on and on and on. And I don't know how, I don't know how you get the feedback loop to stop. That's what this, this whole three series, this three episode series is, is try to get this feedback loop to stop, to get people to see that there's other cars that you can drive that you can enjoy for 75% less money. Like every car, there are cars in this list that would make people faint if you showed up to Cars and Coffee in one of these cars. And and nobody sure. thinks about it. Nobody, it's, it's okay. So you're Urquattro. Um, I want to talk about that car a little bit. I was really surprised nice. that you bought that car because <laughs> it's- Why is that? It's not what I expected. I, I didn't, because there's always this like BMW Audi thing, right? And then Mercedes is like in the corner over here, like sucking its thumb, okay? Yeah. So you have BMW and you, and, you have, uh, and you have Audi and they're like going at each other. It always seems like kind of like this, this, uh, this war between factions, right? So I just didn't expect to see you like pull the cover off and there's an Urquattro there. Why did you buy that car? For a number of reasons. Uh, so first of all, I'm always trying to decide what it is I want to do next. As you are well aware, there are way too many cars to own and not enough money to fund them all. You got to sell one project so you can get the next one. And there's a lot of cars that I want to experience, the Audi being one of many of them. Um, I had mentioned, honestly, as like a total bluff, offhanded comment of you know, trying to decide what car I'd like to own next. And I said, if I could find an Audi Quattro with a blown engine in it or something like that, that would be, that'd be dream come true. If I could get into one cheap, that's not, you know, cause these cars at this point for a nice one, you could easily spend 50 K. Yep. Um, but again, numbers here in the United States, there's 664 of them. So extremely rare, from a small pool. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of them worldwide. I think there's like 11,000 of them, but, I digress. I said this to a buddy and the next day he texted me and he was like, Hey, uh, this is really weird, but a friend of mine just told me they have an Ur Quattro at their shop with a blown engine and a guy wants out of it. And I said, you gotta be kidding me, but it was true. And I said, all right, let me go check this thing out. And I show up. It's beautiful. And I said, that's exactly what I want. So why I wanted that car. I mean, for starters, it's, it's got a ton of history to it. Um, I mean, it is, one of the quintessential rally cars, especially yeah. if you're not able to jump into like an actual group B car. Um, you know, I'm not going to own an Ford RS 200 or something. That's, that's never going to happen. I don't have that kind of bankroll, but 
the Audi Quattro is truly a homologation special. It's in that same ranks as the E30 M3 in terms of how different it is from its, uh, you know, more normal counterparts yep. of the same, or not era, but, you know, Audi's other cars they made at the time, even the Coupe uh, GT. It's such a cool machine. It's got, you know, the first all-wheel drive system uh, for a, a car like that in it. The turbo five-cylinder, getting to have those cool noises. It was just so many first things for me to experience. And when the opportunity came up, it's like, yeah, I got to own that. You know, I'm a European car guy, uh, BMW first and foremost, but I like a little bit of everything. And when the opportunity came up, I said, that's a bucket list car. Here goes. Yeah, I think they're I think they're incredible. And it's one of those things, like when I, when I go to... Uh from the Porsche perspective, I go to vintage racing and I'll see like a, like a slant nose or an RSR or a 934 or something like that. I'll see it and I'll go, part of my car is in that car with these old vintage race sure. cars. You can see it like the floor pans are there. The case is the same. There's a lot of sim similarities like, hey, that's my gearbox. It probably feels really, you know, similar to drive that, but with like a thousand more horsepower. And I think like the the car that you have, the Urquattro, um, when you look at like an S1, you go, you do the same thing. You go, yeah, that pedigree is there. That, oh, yeah. that Group B car, it, it, it's there. The DNA is there. And they, they really built that car so they could go do that and you know, do all the things that they did. And, it, and it's just this incredible experience to be able to just know that, I don't know, you ever close, I close my eyes and pretend, you know, you hear, you drive. It's just cool to have that relationship <laughs> and that family, that uh, car family spirit in the car that you're driving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's cool to know that you own some version of the car that is legendary, for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, the coolest cars are race cars, right? I mean, like the the 935 to me is one of the coolest cars possible. So to have a 911 is as close as us mere mortals are going to get going to get to that yep. in the same way that the Zack Speed Capri is probably it's top three for me. Um, am I going to own an actual Zack Speed Capri? Of course not. But I could own a Capri and kind of make my own version of one yeah. and get close. I'm never going to own an F40 or a 288 GTO, but I could buy a 308 and get kind of close. And the same thing is here with that Sport Quattro. And there's different avenues – or sorry, not Sport Quattro, the Quattro. And there's different avenues you could take to get it close to a Sport Quattro or an S1 or any of those. Um, I'm not going to cut my car in half because the payoff isn't there, but I still want to – pay tribute to those cars that make the Quattro so cool. You know? Right. So what, is there anything you think could happen in the Porsche uh, community that would convince you that, you know, I think it's time for me to get one. What would have to happen for that? If, for, for Mike Burroughs to if the values of those cars absolutely collapse. What's it worth? What's it sure like I'd... my car? Okay. So early car. Well, let's even uh, forget that. Let's go with like a 911 SC. Just a standard SC, 190, 100, 200 horsepower, yeah. 1978. That's, like a, that's an impact bumper car, impact right? Impact bumper car. Just a regular SC. Decent condition. Like, what with would it, it, With an engine that... Is that engine going to, like, stretch its head studs out or leak its case or whatever? No. No, they're up there. Well, yes, but... Yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about what my ownership plan is. <laughs> let's, let's, let's pretend. Okay. We need to actually define a car. Okay. Car doesn't need any work. It's a daily driver. You know, it's not showroom condition, but it's a nice car. It's probably something that in my mind is probably like a, in today's market, a 60 to $80,000 car. You know, at this point, I don't even know. $60,000. The, the number that sits in my head is like, I, I, honestly, I mean, 
it's it's tough to give a real answer because like the the value of all cars are like really inflated right now like it's hard to get anything yeah, for yeah. under 10 i'm waiting for you to pull point. out your like, wallet you and see how many hundred dollar bills you've got in it <laughs> none at the moment uh honestly it's like i couldn't see myself spending more than like twenty thousand bucks on one and i think even that is like pretty crazy it it's it's the, the the prices are just so extreme for what I think you get. And I know you get a really unique driving experience and I've driven a handful of nine elevens. I can't say that I've ever gotten to like really lean on one and push one to its limit um, and get that experience that might make you fall in love with one. But I think anybody that would attempt to argue that it is so much better than anything else of the era or that it's so much more unique that it commands a price that's unparalleled. Good luck. I, it just doesn't hold water to me. I just can't wrap my head around that. And so when I think about the fact that, you know, I could go buy, you know, that E28 M5, I could buy a nice one for 40K and I could have a way more rare car that I'm not going to see a dozen of at any cars and coffee event that I go to. Um, that I could work on myself and not want to rip my hair out in terms of, you know, the cost of parts and the, the availability. And like, it's just the entire package of what you get when you get a nine eleven is more than just the car. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a burden. You're, you're, you're basically buying a burden. Doesn't sound <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense to me because you know how many of those motors are out there if they made 400,000 of these cars and I've I had know people tell me oh man there's coming. really not that many 911 SC cases left so we're gonna repair yours it's just in my head I go fall. how is that fucking possible that there aren't more of these like how is this possible I mean I understand that stuff is getting snatched up and things are being restored now so maybe there's less parts around but still it's 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 so much, it's easier to rebuild like a, an E30 M3 engine or an S like a M88 or S whatever it is, S38. And I'm just. Exactly. I, that's, that's why I use those parts as kind of an analog. So like, or use those cars as an analog is, you know, obviously it would be silly for me to say that the engine between an E28 M5 and a, a 911 are similar outside of being six cylinder high strung engines because the construction's totally different. Yep. And the demand for the parts that you need in order to make it all work are different. However, use, I mean, the, the, let's go with the S38, the S38 B35, the United States motor for the E24 M6 and the E28 M5. Yep. It is a unique engine. It was used in those two cars and that's it. And there are 1500 M5s in the U S and then I don't know, something maybe like 2,500 or three grand or, I, I, something like that for M or M6s. And that's it. Those are all the engines worldwide, right? So you've got a few thousand to choose from. If you need any of the parts that are totally specific to that engine, if you need a new, you know, cam box for your cylinder head, which I did need to find because UPS dropped mine when I tried to ship one um, and cracked it. It's irreplaceable in terms of like, well, the point is, is it's not irreplaceable. Even though there's only a few thousand of them in existence, I can get on eBay right now and buy one. I could buy a complete engine for probably in today's market, 6,000 bucks, I'd bet. I bet you I could buy one right now. I know that with 10 grand in my hand, I could go buy a complete rebuilt motor. For of, of one that there are 
only a few thousand examples out there and there's it's you couldn't counter argue and say well yeah but there's not a demand for them of course there is you think there's not a few thousand people that own m5s and m6s like it might be a less desirable car but there's fewer of them right right even still the prices just don't reflect the fact that I could call up any company right now and find all sorts of stuff from brand new Porsche cases and heads. And I mean, the aftermarket's massive Yeah. and there's people that have stockpiles of those parts. And the only real uh, difference I, I think in terms day. of building the motors is there's a lot of machine work that goes into a 911 just because there's, there's really no gaskets, you know? So, there, so like you think of the machine work and you can kind of go, okay, I get it. I don't know. It's when I, I bought my car, it was, I sold my SC, I had bought it for 13, I sold it for 25, and I was shaking. That, that was the most cash I'd ever seen in my life. And then I had uh, uh, $18,000 and I bought my, my long hood. And I was just like, when I went and gave the guy like a bag of money and he dropped me off, or I dropped him off at the train station, I, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm, I don't make that much more money than I made 10 years ago. I'm certainly better off. But now I get in my car and I go, can I still continue to drive it like I do? Can I still do this? Can I still abuse the car, use the car? Because I beat the fuck out of my car. Can I still do that and, and feel good about it? And I'm finally to the point now where I'm like, I don't know if I can. And that is the reason why it's none of the other bullshit. It's none of the the culture, the community, the all that stuff. It's it's whether I can feel like I can afford to break it. And I'm to the point now where I don't know that I can. Yeah, it's just I can't imagine owning a 911 and wanting to use it in that capacity because of the risk involved just based on the cost to fix it even though there's not actual parts scarcity. That's what's crazy to me. Indeed. Is it's just an inflated market. And I'm not an economist. I'm sure plenty of people listening are going to say, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And that could be, but it's just, I mean, the perfect counter example is I went out and bought this Ferrari 308, 38,000 miles on it, full maintenance history, absolutely the nicest car I've ever owned. Nicer than most 911s out there. There are going to be plenty that are nicer, but this car was beautifully well-kept that I started with for 62,000 bucks. That won't, and there's only a few thousand coupes out there and of being a yellow one, an authentic yellow car, like you, you gotta be kidding. It's to be fair. I mean, that thing was before you swapped and everything was just as much of a turd as an old 911 is in terms of yes but whole point like it's a ferrari i could own a ferrari like that's a, there's a lot that's of ferraris you can own car. i can own four or five different ferraris for the cost of my car which is just like the little kid to me is like are you seriously that's what you can do i tell you what when i should what we should do is i might try and co-op some of your time at the track when you take your ferrari there to do like a track day or anything like that my 911 is probably going to live out there for a little bit. I want you to have a safe environment where you'll feel okay beating the shit out of my car. I want you to drive it. I want like It's not going to happen because it, if I blow that motor <laughs> up, it'll cost me $40,000 to replace. And it's just like no, no, Chris, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> we got to get you in that car and have you wring its neck a little bit. We got to it's it's got to happen. If you've never done that with a 911, I want you to experience that because Despite the prices, the driving experience is spectacular. 
It really, truly is. Look at you right now. Look at you. Look at you. Just come on. You got to do uh, it. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I hate driving other people's cars. I For know. You, maybe. I know. I'm with I'm you. Make you I'm sign you. a waiver that I am not responsible when, uh, when it breaks. How's that? Well, it depends if you run into a concrete wall or not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. When the motor pops without me money shifting it, uh, We'll go with that. All right. That sounds good. Dude, I appreciate you hanging out with me for a little bit. And uh, this is a, this is a definitely a good topic for, for you, it sounds like. Um, maybe we can change your mind just a little bit and get you on to, even though my side doesn't even exist anymore. I don't even know what side I'm on. But maybe we can adjust your attitude on 9-11. It's just a little yeah, bit. It sounds like you're starting to starting to justify the Porsche right now. It sounds oh, like you're back it, on it's... Team Porsche. Where are you at? Where are you at? What's going on here? I'm having a lot of trouble. I mentioned already that like the, the money and the being able to break it is, is tough because I don't know that I, I can't, I just paid the money to have the engine rebuilt. And even if I would have rebuilt it myself, the parts are asinine and I still probably shouldn't be able to afford that. But the experiences that I've had driving that car, I've owned a lot of cars now from, I mean, I've, I haven't owned an M3, but I've owned a 325 IS E30. I've owned an E39 M5. I've driven an M Coupe. I've driven an E36 M3. I've driven lots of AMG cars. I've driven a lot of shit. I've driven Yugos. I've driven E30 Tourings. Like all this like stupid shit. Not, nothing fills the gap of the 911 driving experience. It is really that good. But it's not $150,000 good. I don't think. See, that's the thing is all of those cars that you just named, are I would $4. rather own a 911 than all of those. Yes. Well, no, 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 not even. I mean, like an E39 and five at this point is pretty yeah. expensive. Yep. And then, I mean, E36 and three, or even if you had said, I mean, literally, I mean, any of those ignoring the value, I would rather own the 911. Of, I would expect it to be a better driving experience. The problem is, is just you have to say for you the money. The you, you have to, you have to say for the money now because it is so fucking dumb. And it, and it sucks that that's part of the equation because I'm a romantic. You know that. I'm not in it for the money. I don't give a shit about the money. I don't care what the car is worth. But there gets to be a point where I go, oh, my God, and I look at my family. And I don't have a lot of debt, but I look at it and I go, holy shit, I've got a house and, like, a lawn and, and a yard and college. And like, all these things all of a sudden for the money matters. And, and I hate it and I abhor it. And having to think about that is, like, an, is part of the reason why I'm like, yeah, this thing could go. But but on the other hand, there's the driving experience. It's, it's tough. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, bringing it all back around, like I know that the driving experience is great. I know that. And I know that the car is one of the most unique looking cars. Nothing looks like a 911. It's gorgeous. It's distinct. It's it's has such amazing pedigree, unlike anything else. It is such a unique machine in the way that it, accomplishes what it does. I mean, having that air-cooled engine, so many of them having, you know, carburetors or even mechanical fuel injection, the sounds that it makes, the the way that it drives because of the way that it's built is different than everything else. Like I know that all of those things cater to the 911 being something different and something special. Undoubtedly. I think the following that the car has is justified. And as said, I think that it's the most like it is the quintessential sports car. It is what you should think of when the word sports car is said. It does yeah. everything so well. Well, thank God they made 400,000 of them so we can all have one.
but they made 400,000 of them. And the fact that even the cheapest one at this point is what? Can you can you get one for under $40,000? Nothing that runs. It doesn't need extreme work that no. you're going to have to have 40 into by the time you make it work? Not unless you like know a guy or there's a sideways deal or something happens where something comes up and... You can't. I just and so when I when I take that into consideration and then I think about the fact that I could have, you know, so much more. Again, part of it comes to, and maybe this is maybe this is the wrong way to look at it. But and I, I admit that I'm jaded as well. But if I go to literally any cars and coffee meet in Southern California on any given weekend, Saturday or Sunday or both, I will see guaranteed at least a dozen air cooled 911s. Mm-hmm. They're that prevalent. There yeah. are so many. And well, that's also that's a California perspective a little bit. Lower limit. You know, that's California is, a little but, like that's that's like saying, well, BBS wheels shouldn't be on anything cuz they're everywhere, but when but they're really not, but they are in some places. Like, you know, of, of course, of course. But I mean, the fact that I could go and I could see yeah, it's overwhelming. So many number of collections. I mean, how many people out there have Porsche collections? It was great taking so my Mercedes to the Lufka cult. That was fun. <laughs> that was some of the most fun I've ever had is sticking that thing in there and have it just look like the biggest, sorest thumb you've ever seen in your life. That was a that was awesome. I loved it. Way more but fun than it would I, so if I would have had the 911 there. But with the Porsche, or I mean, with the Mercedes in mind, I mean, you just talked about how it's I've heard we've talked quite a bit lately about how amazing you think that car is, especially for what it costs. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it was a thousand dollar car. That car is the perfect. It's, it's the perfect analog. And, and so what I'm tempted to say is the fact that I can go out. I just bought an E30 for a few thousand bucks. I can throw a few thousand more dollars at it and have an incredible analog driving experience. The car will run on Bosch Motronic 1.3, mm-hmm. kind of the quintessential simplest fuel and electronic fuel injection that is so easy to work on. Like it should be the, like anybody could work on it. Right. You can solve any problem on the side of the road. It's it, next to carbs, which are a little bit of a black magic. Um, everything about that car in every other sense is super analog. It's super well balanced. It's a ton of fun to drive. You get the straight six noises. You get, you know, the feel of all of the mechanical aspects of the car. You're not toting around something heavy. You're getting to enjoy that iconic inline six that BMW built their brand on for 40 years. And I can have that for a few grand, you know, know. under 10. It's crazy. That Mercedes is fully independent rear suspension, full subframe up front, super advanced first time, four wheel disc brakes, dual overhead cam engine. I fucking, well, I loved and hated driving that car across the country because it was kind of like, hey, it's done, let's go. So there was a lot of things that were stressful, but overall, once it was great, it was great. And I don't know that I would have had a better experience in the 911. And for what I do, which is exploring, going out and seeing things and, and being in the middle of nowhere, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Dude, I gotta go. I think we could probably go okay, on about this get forever. Okay, out of here. I, uh, I'll see you probably my motor is supposed to be done, you know, end of February into March. I'll come hang out. Perfect. Maybe I'll try and make you drive it or something. (laughs) Cross your fingers. All right, man. Take care.
Thanks. All right, Jake. Are you ready? Car number two. Already number two. You know what a 9-11 does not have? A lot of things, but what? Box flares. That, that is true. You know what does have box flares? Um, Everything that's cool. Except, <laughs> except for uh, they, made a, they made a minivan with box flares, too. I've seen a minivan what? that kind of has box flares. I don't know if it's like a, a Ford Windstar, I think, or something like that. Not cool. But generally, box flares on something is cool. E30 M3, Mitsubishi Evo, the Urquatcher we talked about. Yep. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of that minivan. I just can't, can't remember it. All right, so at the September 1991 Frankfurt Motor Show, this isn't a guessing game, this one, uh, the Lancia introduced oh, yes. a heavily revised version of their long-running hatchback, uh, the Delta, yes. named the Delta HF Integrale. Hell yeah. Which became better known as the HF Integrale Evolution, or simply the HF Integrale Evo. Evo. Do you know what the HF stands for? I used to. It's, it was on the Stratos. Like the Stratos was the HF2. Yep. Yeah, it's something in Italian. It's, no, it's not. But guess. I want you to make something up. Guess. High flutin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 911. Try again. <laughs> no, high flutin's great. I love right. that. The HF stands for high fidelity oh. and have been applied to sports and racing variants of Lancia's cars since 1966. It's an audio file. close for the record. Flutin? Yeah. Fidelity? No. As an audiophile, this is cool. What is high fidelity? High fidelity contrasts with lower quality sound produced by inexpensive audio equipment, AM radio, or the inferior quality of sound reproduction that can be heard in recordings made until the late 1940s. In lo-fi music, such defects are themselves considered aspects of the music from time to time. Sure, the hisses and the pops. And Many would say digital is hi-fi, although some... Uh, don't. I mean, it's... It, it depends, depends on the actual... Let's what, consider this thing the analog car version of Hi-Fi. Okay. A great vinyl pressing that is wonderfully produced at a world-renowned recording studio. I like Let's it. pretend that's what this is, what okay. it stands for. The Evolution cars were built from October 1991 through 1992 at the end of the victorious 1991 World Rally Championship season where the HF Integrale 16-valve had won both drivers and manufacturers' championships. Lancia officially retired from rallying at that time. Despite this, the racing development of the HF Integrale continued, and factory-developed HF Integrale Evos were fielded by independent Martini Racing-sponsored Jolly Club. What a great... Jolly what Club? A, what a great... Okay. What is the Jolly Club? Do you know what that was? I don't. I couldn't find too much information on it. It's just, is they is would, it like a gentleman's club? I don't know. Jolly Club. <laughs> yeah. Jolly I, good days. It was, all I could find was like race results when I yeah. looked up what it was. I couldn't really yeah. find too much. I'm, although it would be funny to find... Uh, it's probably it's probably a guy named like John Jolly, and it's yeah. his club. You know, it's, it's knowing you, it you're going to try to find the vintage racing jacket now. Oh, the Jolly Club, yeah, definitely going to look for that. I know you are. Um, thanks to the two factory back privateer teams, Lancia won its sixth and final consecutive constructor World Rally Championship. These were to be the final homogulation cars. The catalytic 1993 Evolution Two was not developed by the factory into a rally car. Okay, so. I chose the uh, the pre-evolution cars. Okay, and you can have those for around uh, forty thousand dollars. Okay, for for you can have Jake again. Point three nine box, eleven box flares. All right, yes. vibrating seven out of ten. All less, wheel, less than the Quattro. Less. Come on. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. 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 Right. All wheel drive. This is what four cylinder. Four cylinder sixteen valve turbocharged. Yes. Yep. Okay. All wheel drive hot hatch goodness. Yep. Wide body box flares, yep. a cool wing on the back, four round lights look unique. Yes, they Tunability. do. Tunability, World Rally Championship pedigree, 
basically if you can put Oz rally wheels on a car and it works, it is definitely cool. Yes. Like any car that you put those wheels on and the car looks cool is okay in my book. Yeah, yeah, that's hard to argue with. Here's the other thing. You're going to see a lot less of these than a 911 on the road. Oh, absolutely. Just because it's in a different country. I had a lot of trouble finding someone that owned one of these. There's a guy local that has one in like Stillwater or something. I I saw it. Well, let me let me rephrase that. I put a lot of calls up on Instagram of like, hey, if you're an idiot and you have a lot of charisma and you own one of these, DM <laughs> if me. You're an idiot? I don't know. Like a drunken <laughs> if you want to talk to me like a drunken fool about this car, let's talk. And I didn't really get any advice. If you're a character. So I did some research on who I thought would be a good authority on this topic. And we have Ron Zaras, who is a photographer and producer from Hoonigan to oh, talk awesome. about the Lancia Delta Integrale and how it is much cooler than a Porsche 911. Dude, Ron, thanks so much for coming on the podcast to hang out with us, man. Absolutely. I heard there's some talk about rally cars. There is. There is. I am in. There's, uh, you know, kind of the overall theme is cars that you can get. It's not like cars you can get if you can't afford a 911, but even if you have a 911, you could literally sell your car and either buy one of these or buy three of these or buy five of these or six of these just because things have gotten so out of control in in, in the Porsche world. Before we get into the, the car, the Lancia, what is your thought on the the Porsche phenomenon, the feedback loop, the everything? Well, I had a front row seat to it. Um, our co-founder at Hoonigan, Brian Scotto, you know, he, God, it's a funny conversation thinking back to it now. He had a, uh, a nine, 965 turbo. Uh, he had purchased it in 2010, I wanted to say. And at the time, I think it was $35,000. And all of us in his friend group were like, dude, you're kind of an idiot. You know you can get an Evo for that money. This was an Evo 10. Um, We're like, why would you buy an old 911? They handle bad. Like, It's not like modern. It's just whatever. He's like, you know what? I always liked it. I think it's a good deal. I'm going to pick it up. Later, that became an RWB car. and, And now that car is worth, you know, yeah, it outperforms most stocks that you could have invested in at all. But uh, I watched that happen. And even at the time, you know, having driven the car, I felt like there's something really special about a car that, you know, hangs around that amount of time that evolves from this idea of, you know, making a rear engine car perform and, and just watching the evolution of it. Yes, the prices are crazy, but the market does what the market does. And it's, it's there for a reason. The prices are there for a reason. And they've stuck around that long. I mean, how long has this bubble been going around? Yeah. You know, and, you just and 911s are to... still wild prices. Yeah. Yeah. At, at a certain point, it's just that perceived value is a perceived value. It's not a fad. It seems like, uh, what is what influenced this? What kind of kicked this off? Was there like a seminal moment in your mind of something you saw? Because if you look at as, as a branding guy and a brand guy, if you look at the brand mm-hmm. of like air-cooled Porsches, right? If you look at the ethos, the brand of it, is there a moment that it was like, this is what happened and then this happened? You know what I mean? Like, is there anything you can pinpoint? I kind of look at it as, as like when you build a fire, right? You have the, the logs and then you have smaller sticks and logs and stuff like that. And then you have the tinder at the bottom. I think in the 911 market, there was all this history of motorsports, famous owners, uh, really cool specs and versions of the cars and everything. And really it just took a bunch of things 
that got set off by like whatever somebody's entry point may have been. So somebody entered into that world and started exploring it and be like, Oh shit. Nine elevens are amazing. Like this whole thing about them. And I think it was a combo around the time Magnus Walker was a big influence to guys like myself yeah. who, yeah, I knew Jerry Seinfeld like was super into, you know, nine elevens and collected them. And it was more of a older guy thing for me at the time. And then someone like Magnus came in and kind of turned it all upside down. And then after that Magnus video, I started noticing like, Oh, that, you know, that guy driving down the road, you know, that's an air cooled nine 11 with a cage in it. And it's like kind of patinaed and covered in rubber. Hey, you know what? That's kind of sick. Okay. Like you start getting into that. And then that momentum starts building in your friend group. Right. And then it starts building in media and you start consuming more content around it. You want to know more. And that just snowballs into what we know today. Yeah. Yeah. I so think to put it shortly looking at it. Yeah. I don't think it was one moment. It was, a collection of things that were always there and they just started bubbling up to the top. All right. So the Lancia, you have a little bit of a, of a yes. history with this car. And I, I love this car. I actually tried so hard to buy one of these. My buddy had it at a shop. It came over on a shipping container and bounced around in the shipping container. Like a guy who like buys forklifts from Japan, brought the car back or something. And he had it on the hoist. It was oh, there, wow. And it was there for like six months and I'm like, dude, I want to buy this car. I want to buy this car. I want to buy this car. And he never would talk to the owner for me. And then the owner came and picked the car up mm. and took it to another shop. And that was the end of that. So I'm still kind of salty oh. about that. But um, so I really, <laughs> I still really want to own one. I feel like I will. I feel like I'm going to own one of these cars. So let's not make it seem too cool. But tell me about your experience with the Lanza, Lancia Delta Integrale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, from from the start, I'm a rally nerd. I mean, my parents are from Poland, so I was born here, but I didn't grow up watching sports and traditional, you know, ways of entertainment. For my house, it was boxing and it was rally. And I was a really skinny kid, so boxing at the time was just like not an option. So I got really, really, really into rally cars. And yes, it was at the time, you know, early 90s. It was just that crossover of Group A, so it was Subarus and you know everything. But once I started diving into Rally, it was the dominance of the Integrale, and the story behind it was just—it it, was—it was so very cool. You what know, were you it was that at the time? first car. What were you driving? Like you're driving what? Uh, Dreaming of I mean, Lancia. <laughs> back then, it was nothing. I knew even before I drove anything, okay. it was—it okay. was, it was one, one of the one. cool cars to me. And then you know, uh, I was uh, you know. Got my license in the early 2000s, so of course I got myself in a Subaru. Yeah, that was the coolest thing at the time. Um, but it was always there; it was always in the back of my head. Just ne- it, it, it seemed too far, right? Like it didn't seem like a practical thing when the Subaru was my only car. Plus, they don't make um, them great. It, it didn't happen. It. What does that look like? This is it's just it's not something you even. How do I replace exactly anything, yeah. any part? And then there's the whole saga of how finicky they are and they fall apart and. Uh, you know, there's rust issues and just like any enthusiast car, like rally cars are based off of an econo box mm-hmm. that has hot parts on it. Right. Yep. So you always get that crest just like any car, but you know, they come out their X price and then they drop severely because the new one comes out and then the bigger thing comes out and the better thing comes out. So the Integrale has got extremely cheap, very, very affordable. And as such, a lot of them got ruined a ton of them. Um, so we're talking I mean, you like could a 16 pick valve HF, right? Like a, not a, not yes, Evo yeah. or anything like that. It's 
which I don't even know if those. Oh, are those. Actually, I mean, those are not even. They didn't even really rally those as much. I think it was just the sixteen valve, but they did actually. So, and and this is the funny thing about the Integrale. I, I could be here all day. Um, <laughs> the championships. Most of the championships were won with the eight valve, the original okay. version, the narrower body right. eight valve version. The sixteen valve came along, picked up a championship, and then the very last Evo. If I'm correct, that one didn't, the Evo 2 didn't even win a championship. Those were just, oh, let's keep making these for the road because they're special and commemorate everything. But the bulk of launches winning in the World Rally Championship was with the 8 valve and 16 valve. Yeah. So what did you, uh, but, what did you, you know, the, the Evos were rare. I ended up with uh, what I believe is the best value is the 16 valve HF. And they're still like so the pretty sixteen valve, right? I mean, you can still the eight valve, sixteen valve cars. There's a sleeper car right now. Exactly, and almost afraid to say it, but now that I have one, it's okay. <laughs> um, it's the same drivetrain as the Evo One and the Evo Two. The Evo Two has a slightly smaller turbo, whatever, but the engine, the transmission, everything is the exact same from sixteen valve to Evo One to Evo Two. Same thing, but the sixteen valve is lighter. It's not as wide. It doesn't look as crazy. It's not as rare. It was the most produced one. So as a result, if you just want that car for the driving experience, you get the 16 valve. So what was your uh, your purchasing experience like? Did it live up to everything that you had hyped it up for in your mind when you went and finally drove, drove <laughs> one of these things? Man, it, let me tell you, it was a roller coaster because, you know, for Hoonigan, we were making this video series called Car Cane Abroad uh, where... You know, we went over to Europe, to Germany in particular, and our goal was to purchase a vehicle that was never sold in the U.S. that we had always lusted after. For me, obviously, it was the Integrale. I was searching through all the classifieds, eBay, Kleinenzagen, and all the, the sites and everything, and I found one. I found what I felt was a great example. It was in Spain, uh, the north of Spain, so no rust issues because rust is a huge, huge problem with these cars. Um, only the second owner, higher mileage, and a little bit beat up, but at the same time, I got it as a driver's car. I didn't want a showpiece. I wanted something that I could take to the canyons without, you know, worrying twice about it. Uh, purchased it with just the eyes of just a local friend in Spain that looked at it. He's like, yeah, this thing checks out. It's okay. <laughs> um, you can still see it on the video. Uh, I had it delivered to our friend uh, Jean-Pierre Kramer, JP Performance in Germany. He was storing it for me. And we show up at the building and he's like, oh, you got the launcher, huh? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, okay. I was like, man, what? why would you do that to me? They you unveil it. Like they this, take the cover like, off. Oh, no. <laughs> yep, exactly. I see dents and scratches and like the interior wasn't half of what I wanted it to be. And my heart kind of sunk. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I, like part of my brain was like the driving experience is going to be the same. And then I get behind the wheel. This is the first time I had ever driven one. So I purchased this car sight unseen just on just on emotion, really, which is how you're not supposed to buy cars. Um, got behind the wheel and I drove it, you know, uh, I drove it 15 feet and hit a corner and made the little turbo chuff. The rear end stepped out a little bit and the steering catches it perfectly. And I was like, oh, my God, this might be one of the best driving experiences that I've fast. had in 15 feet that fast immediately man the steering feel the shifting feel 
the brakes, the pedal placement, the lightness of it. Like I, I'm being like 20% hyperbolic, but still it was like an eye-opening experience at how good this thing was. I'm like, this thing is a 91 and it handles so damn well. It was such fun car. And then I got to take it on the ring around all kind of roads around Germany, brought it here, did a few little suspension and tire upgrades and every single little just elevated that driving experience to where I find myself driving that car more often than anything else I have. Have you driven a, a rally golf by any chance? Oh, I, once again, dude, I, in the position I'm in, I get to do some really, really extremely lucky stuff. So I have just recently the golf a 59, the one of one oh, no that shit. Volkswagen created yeah. that was going to be their like 22 B competitor. Uh, they pulled it out of Germany in storage in a museum. And thanks to our friend, Jamie, Orr, they brought it over here. We took it to a track and I got to do apps chucking that thing around a racetrack and a very different driving experience. Uh, but still just kind of that raw end, you know, of like big turbo lag, but the power hits you a light nimble chassis, like similar, a little heavier all around. I mean, remember the Integrale chassis that was designed. I mean, it was that car was out in 76, 77. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that lasted, that chassis itself was never meant for that kind of power, that business, anything, but, you know, they kept it going. So the golf was, it felt like a newer driving experience, but man, the Integrale is just, it's so light and well put together, not from a, like a quality standpoint, but just, the chassis and the dynamics are so thought out. Right. It's it's incredible. Would you let's let's put it put it up against a nine eleven, right? Just in terms of driving experience, mm-hmm. you know, I it's it's stupid to compare mm-hmm. the two, but that's what we're doing because it's fun. So the you've got the nine eleven <laughs> and you've got the Lancia. Which which would you rather have? Money aside, I mean, look uh, for me, I'm super biased. All wheel drive turbo rally car. I'm I'm always going to choose the Integrale. Always. Um, that being said, I I guess it really hugely depends on the the 911 you're talking about. You know, if it's uh like a like a super early air cooled lower power, like yeah, if I was going to a nice dinner or something, I would take that out. Um, but most of the time, I, I would just have to choose the rally car. But like I said, I'm I'm hyper biased. So yeah, that's all right. That's not exactly, the most fair comparison. That's in the exactly world. what we want on this podcast is hyper bias. I'm, I'm all for it. That's <laughs> that's the we should just instead of saying overcrest is a pretty good podcast, we should say overcrest hyper bias podcast because that pretty much hyper bias. Hyper bias. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. much us in a nutshell. Well, dude, I I appreciate you coming on. I would love to uh, have you on again and do a full episode and chat and hang out and find out more about Hoonigan. I think uh, we should do that. I, I'm itching to do that now, but I think we should save it for a full episode and hang out and have a good time. And uh, you know what? I'm going to be I out there in like too. a month and a half. Maybe I'll stop by and say hello. You got my number, man. Come by the shop. Anytime we'll show you around. All right, man. You take care. Maybe of I'll even let you drive my car. Oh, we'll <laughs> trade. We'll trade. I have the I have an early 911 with a nice. 3-2 short stroke. So you can you can hop in that and bomb around. Honestly, good let's trade. do it. It's All right. on. Sounds good, man. We will see you then. And uh, take care of yourself, and thanks again. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, Jake. Okay, so that we started out, what, eight? 
the quattro was eight vibrating. I have no idea. I just made up the, the <laughs> integrale was seven and a half vibrating. Sure. I'm waiting. Okay. What do right. we got next? Uh, we'll get to the vibrating in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these cars are there? Twelve. Okay. Twelve cars. Twelve okay. vibrations. So we have four today. Four today. Got Two it. more to go. All right. The BMW. Oh no. I ruined it. No, I'm going to bleep that out so you didn't hear that. The <laughs> 1970s birthed a movement. Okay. It is one of my favorite movements. I imagine it went like this. Paul Brock is driving around in the Mercedes W114 that he designed. Uh -huh. His wife reaches over, touches the radio. Gone is the French beautiful music of Debussy, swapped out for Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Paul, annoyed, Hits the button and swaps it back. This repeats itself for weeks, <laughs> years. This doesn't even take into account over the climate change fight, which was the real original fight over climate change. You ever get in that fight with your wife? Well, it's not oh, hot in here. It's cold. I get what you She's mean. She's reaching yeah, over, yeah, touching yeah, the yeah. buttons okay. and everything. Yeah, not good. Enter one of the best runs for any manufacturer ever. Ever. Okay. In 1976, Paul Brock penned the best touring coupe of all time. It cemented a 30-year run of the ultimate driving machine. Oh, okay. The E24 BMW 6 Series. This thing was a serious departure from BMW's boring-ass crap at the time, and so <laughs> many cars would come out that would follow this epic design language and performance. The E28 M5, the E24 M6, the E31 850Ci, the E30 M3, the E36 M3, the E34 M5. It goes on and on and on. Yeah. Let I mean, can you think? I mean, God. Such a legendary period of time for a manufacturer. That was the heyday. The heyday for of- sure. I mean, I, I cannot, in terms of having a full model line be amazing. Yeah. I can't think of any other manufacturer that did it as well as BMW did in the 80s and 90s. Just yeah, can't. you're right. They were- So how quality. to narrow it down to just one? The best one of the best era of motoring ever. Okay. I think it's pretty easy to eliminate the E34, E39, and E36. They're all bigger, fatter, bloatier than their previous pioneering cousins. Sure. And the E30 is just too easy. Despite its hmm. DTM roots and the Motorsport Legend status, it's underpowered for me. It just okay. doesn't. I've driven one. It's a great motor. But I mean, you got to ring look, them out. Look, if I had an Evo engine in yeah. there, yeah. great. But I don't. I've got a 192 horsepower uh, engine, which has the same. It's very easy to build, like, uh, just do an S54 swap or something. Right. And, and just, which... A lot of people used to do in the E30 M3, but now that they're worth a bunch of money, people don't necessarily right, do them very much. So the that. difficult decision then is between the E24 M6. Okay. Which is Is amazing. that the Batmobile? The Batmobile looking yes. one. It's, it's, okay. the, it's the two-door coupe. Yes. It is the, it's the same size as the M5. I thought it was bigger. Yeah, I would think so but too. But it's not. Okay. It's the same size. It's just a little like squishier and sleeker. Yeah, it's like right? a coupe. It's, yeah. Yeah. And because this is my episode, yeah. I can do whatever I want. Okay. So. But I'm still going to try and make the case for the E28 M5. Oh. It is the fastest Wait, we're car. not doing the Batmobile? We're not doing the Batmobile. That's dumb. I'm going to explain. Mm -hmm. The E28 M5 was the fastest saloon car ever made at the time. It In is line the, six, right? Yep. It is okay. the original super saloon. 286 horsepower in 1986. In okay. full fat Eurospec form, the M5 hit 60 miles an hour in 6.3 seconds. And if you wanted, you could take your family of four plus a dog to the top speed of 147 miles per hour. This car battled through a crucible of German bean counters and started a dynasty that would go on for decades. There are so many cars that wouldn't even exist without this car. Obviously, the entire M line was birthed 
right there, but not the M1. There were others, specifically Mercedes 500E, which is a fantastic car. Just think yeah. of all like the the like all like the the people mover cars that all of a sudden became fast, right? Yeah, I, I think this car really has so. The Autobahn had always been around, right? So we attribute a lot of these like fast saloon cars in Germany to the Autobahn. Like right. people wanted to just get in their comfortable car with their family and cruise across the country. Right. What What did they do before this period? Uh, they drove slower. That's really all it came it's down slower to. Slower with less stability. I think a lot of the, the previous, at least the five series, were a little twitchy. The rear ends were twitchy. Okay. This car handled amazing. It was... Not only was it powerful and fast, but it like the handling and the gearbox. Right. This car, everything was just right. If you, I went through and I read a bunch of reviews from like Car and Driver Back and Motor the Trend. And stuff. Yeah. They're all like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, they, they never wanted to let it go. You know the big downfall of this car? And this is the only downfall. Which model me. code is this? E- E28 M5. E28, okay. I Every single E28 M5 sold in the United States yes. had a tan interior. Really? Yeah. If you wanted a black interior, you had to get a Canadian or a European one. That's the only bummer. Okay. So it's not the best looking M5. Uh, which it, one looks better? What's the one after this? The, the E34? Yeah. You like that better? I think so. Let me double check. See, I, I'm not a BMW guy. Okay. But yeah. yeah. The E34 looks really big though, doesn't it? It does. It is very big. Mm. It's much heavier, much bigger. Okay. So they made 18,000. E30 M3s. Yeah, that's not many. That's a lot. Wait, 18,000? In the world that we're talking oh, in? Oh, I thought you said 1,800. 18,000. Yeah. E30 M3s. No, that's, that's actually... In the world we're living in right now, that's a lot. Yeah. They made 16,000 E39 M5s. They made 12,000 E34 M5s. Okay. Only 2,241 E28 M5, okay. M5 cars yes. were ever produced, that's making it the rarest M car outside of the M1, right. which at 451 cars produced isn't even something that anyone would perceive that they could ever own right. with Not examples mention, selling for 500000 to a million dollars. That's what I was going to say. The price, yeah, they're, yes. they're just out of, out of control. This was before, of course, being ruined by the constant need for what I'll call manufacturer progressivism. That is the constant and ever-trudging need for forward progress. We can do another episode someday about this, but at some <laughs> point in the 90s or early 2000s, aside from safety, cars got as good as we ever needed them to get, and all those cars were inspired by this one. Hmm. Vibrating. Didn't even put one because I forgot. I'm going to give this one. <laughs> Off the cuff. What's did your you get, vibrating? Did you get what I was getting at by the climate control on the radio? Do you yeah, know yeah how I know what you mean. The BMW. So you're saying this was dual climate? No. Oh. Uh, if you look at the interior yeah. of a BMW uh-huh. in this period of time, right. every control is angled towards the driver. Oh. It is, it is full. Fuck you to the passenger. I don't know. Look out the window or something. Right? Like yeah. there's, you just, I'm in every, control. Yep. There's no. It's a driver's car. Yeah. So I'll give this a vibrating as an 8 out of 10 for being a sleeper, being the inspiration for an entire ultimate driving machine revolution and, uh, and a fast sedan, which is just cool to begin with. They only came in black. Which that is, is which cool. is which is kind of cool too. Yeah, I, I couldn't do the tan interior though. You I know that's the problem. That. that is that is a significant problem. Uh, all right, so I called guys, up guys make like the wagons into oh, like I they know. put the wagon drivetrain or the e, the E twenty eight M five drivetrain into the E twenty eight wagon. Yes, because they never made the M five wagon. I don't think they made an E twenty eight wagon either. You must be thinking of the E thirty four wagon. You might be right. All right, no, so this I, is an E twenty eight touring. They call it. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I, I was unaware. Yep. 
That'd sure, they're cool. rad. All right, so we have uh, Austin Cacavo from AC Solutions. Yes. Uh, he drives an E28 M5. He brought it on the rally. That's right. I wanted to talk to him about the E28 M5. And obviously, he's going to think it's cooler than an air-cooled 911. He's, he's, yes, he's a big BMW guy. Let's hear what he has to say about my theory. Mr. Austin, how's it going, man? It's going well. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, I actually just popped into my head. I just submitted a story to Road and Track where I talk about where you and I were driving in the desert and I had pulled over to get gas, right? And we went to that gas station that was like, do you remember the bathroom? Oh, yeah, in the rented weird shack of a Airbnb they had over there. Yeah, how could you forget the bathroom, right? It is <laughs> the worst bathroom ever. Anyway, I was just remembering about how I, I ripped out of there after fixing the manifold. I did a big, smoky, dusty, drifty out of there, and I think you did too, and then I never I never got gas. <laughs> I was at that gas station <laughs> yeah, forever fixing the car, never got gas. And was, Anyway, dude, I, I'm really excited to have you on because I wanted to talk about one of the cars on my list. And I also wanted to talk to you about kind of the process I came to, to select this car, uh, the E28 M5, of which you are a proud owner. And when I was researching this uh, whole list of cars that are as cool as or better than a 911 for the money, this car comes up. But as I started to dig into it a little bit, I was looking at uh, just this entire span of BMWs that were made from you know, the, the, e, the E24 6 Series on up into like E36, E39 Series. E39 is kind of the tail end of it. And this whole period of time that is considered, you know, the ultimate driving machine era of BMW, right? I mean, you have, I think that's the best time for BMW. I think anybody else would agree. And I think that's, that's in, undebatable. What was hard for me was choosing which car of this period of time that I would pick. And you know, we have something called, for each one of these cars has a vibrating, which if you say it slower is a vibe rating that we have for each car. And there's a bunch of different things. It had to be rear wheel drive. It had to be a good driving experience. It had to be rare. And I added all these things up and I kind of came to like the E28 M5 as kind of the, it's, it's first of all, it's the rarest other than M1, the rarest of the, all the M cars, I think. And right. Is that right? Yeah. I think that sounds right. Yeah, I don't know. They made 2,241 of them. I, I'm, I'm like fresh on my research right now. I'm like super, <laughs> I'm like fresh off of surfing the internet for like hours, reading, reading everything I could possibly read. Anyway. That's funny. I feel like the E28 M5 is the quintessential version of what BMW would consider the ultimate driving machine. It doesn't have, it doesn't pull any punches. There was no real compromises. The car superseded the bean counters. You know, it really took what the what the six series did in terms of angling everything towards the driver. Uh, that and the eight series took it to an extreme, and after that, it kind of started. You know, I don't know if like somebody's wife complained that they couldn't reach the radio or whatever, and they started tilting it back towards I'm the sure. passenger again. What are your thoughts on the E twenty eight M five in that in that period of time frame in which these cars were made? So, okay, first off, it's definitely my favorite era. Obviously, I'm extremely biased, right? Having grown up with them, and obviously I own one. But I think in terms of like what BMW's direction was back in the day, it was sort of a mistake of a car, right? Because they built all the motors for the M1, for the GT race series. They end up getting blackballed from that. And they, from my understanding of how the story goes, they didn't really know what to do with the motor. 
And then one random German guy said, let's just throw it in the five series, right? Super lame car, super cool motor and see what happens. And that sort of like kicked off this whole revelation of like these super saloons and the big Alpinas and all the cars that have already previously existed, but kind of like toned everything up, like, I don't know, five or six notches, right? You got like really powerful V12 cars now, and you had these like really fast GT cars that were also when you wanted them to be super normal and super basic. So I think my, my kind of guesstimate or the way I kind of see how that worked is it was sort of a mistake. And then it turned into a really good thing. And then they monopolized on that up until probably today, honestly. And I don't know what BMW does today at all. I'm not Nobody really going to speak to that. <laughs> Nobody does. Hey, I, exactly. I don't think anyone does. The, the D <laughs> thing. Um, but the E39 M5 is like definitely the last of that perfect era of just super raw, really tame when you want it to be, really crazy, aggressive, annoying if you want to go that direction too. Right. So, so was the was the E28 really five? You, you but, say it was a mistake. Was was the Super Saloon something that somebody wanted before that? Or did the E28 M5 define that segment when it came out and kind of kicked off that segment? Was there anything, like, I can't think of anything before that that fits that mold. Did it create it? Did it forge that mold? Well, so Alpina was taking a lot of the BMW chassis and doing the turbo technology from like the 70s, right? So they were taking the E12, which came before the E28, and they were taking some of the early E28s, putting massive turbos on them and making... 300 and something horsepower, which is more than any M5 E28 ever had in general. So they were already kicking ass in that sense. But something happened from like a cultural standpoint, from what I could guess, in like a market shift where you started to get like the big Mercedes 500E, which is a car that like they previously didn't really push. And then that became like a big sports, I don't know, Mercedes version of an M5, right? You had like the big Alpina versions of the 7 Series come out, which again, previously existed a little bit, but it, it seems like a different shift of direction than what maybe they were anticipating with how they thought the M1 series would go, the motors, center the heritage with the E30 M3. Those were all like choices they had to make, right? The E30 M3 was born out of homologation for racing, less so than let's sell a small sedan with a really cool four cylinder, um, or I guess a small coupe. Um, I don't really know the accuracy of that, but that's kind of how I see the vibe of it, which is really what I like about the car is that it's such a weird compilation of parts into a very normal car. I mean, if you took any five series today and there was never an M5 and you dumped in a massive V8, it would be very confusing if it didn't already exist. Right. You'd also be kind of shocked. You'd be like, well, I'm surprised nobody's done that before. So that's kind of how I see it as a car, um, which is, I think, why I enjoy it. And it's such a weird combination of uh of components in that way. Tell me about the story of you with your, with your car. Um, yes. Yeah, so, okay. I don't know how far back we want to go or how much time you have. It, um, go as far back as you want. Cool. Um, so I guess just to kind of skip some steps here, um, took my driver's test in an E28, uh, 535 IS, um, automatic or manual car. The manual. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Starting off yeah, great. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, so it was my mother's car at the time. Um, I had grown up in the backseat of this M5 specifically, uh, which was my dad's car at the time. That's and the one you're driving. It's going to kind of paint a whole picture. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And I bought the red car, which was the red 5.5 IS. Uh, I always can you know, refer to it as the red car from my mom uh, about a couple months after I got my driver's license and then owned that for probably seven or eight years and then uh, sold that to then buy my dad's car because he retired, had no interest in keeping it thought about selling it. The sentimental value was huge. Um, and obviously I, I didn't want to see it go. 
So I went ahead and then bought that for myself, sold the red 535IS. Um, in the meantime, my mom was missing her 535IS. So she obviously thought, wanted that back. I, I thought you were going to say, my mom was missing. And I, I was <laughs> like, oh no, what happened? That's awful. <laughs> no, so she was missing the red car, right? So she, she wanted that back. She really enjoyed it. Great driving car. So my dad had bought her a 528E. So there was a period of time for a couple of years where there was an M5 in the garage that was owned by my dad. There was a 528E that was owned by my mom. And then the 535S, which was owned by myself. So there was three sort of different versions of the exact same generation. Um, hence the sort of uh, family of fives, which is what came about from the Petrolicious video yep. that uh, I refused to watch. But what? Um, You've never watched it? Like, no, I've watched it. Okay, okay. It's just a, you know, it's it too is, much. Right? It's Memories too much. cringe. Yeah. It's too much. Um, so there was a period of time where like I was very engulfed in that, um, which was very fun, obviously, for all the reasons. So I guess. Do you ever find yourself hindered by that experience car, at all? I mean, being so like myopic about these five series, right? I mean, do you ever feel like oh, you missed out on other experiences or is there any other cars that you wish you would have experienced instead or anything? Yeah, a hundred percent. There were so many dumb purchases that my friends were making that I was jealous I couldn't do or dumb modifications to their cars that I knew I shouldn't do. And also my dad would not let me sleep in the house if I did. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like fun, like Ford Ranger stuff all the way from that, all the way to like a, you know, GTI, all the Mark II GTIs were, you know, pennies and, and dollars in the, in the high school era. And I loved those, but I don't know. I also knew that I had a very special car in terms of the quality and condition of the 535 I had. And I was like, well, if I can keep this nice, it's probably going to be really hard to replicate. If I did sell it, it'd be hard to replace. They weren't worth very much money. I mean, this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago now. So the prices are nowhere near what they are today. This yeah. was not a $30,000 thing at the time. So it really came down to condition. Um, but yeah, absolutely. To your point, there were so many dumb things I wanted to do to that car that I did some of them um, and was definitely scolded for it. But, you know, you kind of grow out of that phase and then you realize your regrets and most everything's reversible, which is nice. Did you ever want a 911? Have you ever wanted a Porsche 911? Oh, every day. Every absolutely. Day. Every day. But would you trade yeah, your M5 for your it? Podcast. Would you, no, that's all right. Um, would, would you trade your M5 for it? It really depends on what it is. So, like, I've thought about selling the M5 a couple of times. Because um, in terms of value, your M5 is probably on the top or, or on the upper end of what they're worth, which is, what's it worth? Probably 50, 60, your car? I, I don't know. I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know if I would agree. Okay. Um, it has a wild story, has a trillion miles on it. That's right. It does I have higher to miles. to the right person. Yeah, to the right person that like, wants to do what I do with it, which is the long road trips and the driving and kind of just having a really nice driver car. Yes, I think it has value. But to your EAG collector guy, the guy that's going to write the check for a million dollars, this is not his car. So sure. I'm not going to get the bring a trailer, you know, FU sale. Um, it, it's really tough, right? Because I think the value of the car to me from a sentimental aspect has so it carries so much weight. But also, like, let's say the sticker price or the sale price is 50 grand. I don't know what 911 I'm going to buy for 50 grand that's going to be in a similar condition to be as usable as the M5 is right now in the garage. Yeah, or as good of a tool for, for what you do, which is drive. I mean, the 911 is a great tool for driving, but for 40, 50 grand, I mean, you're getting, the 911 you're getting is, it's it's a toilet. At, you know, you have, yeah. you're going from like the the nicest house in the neighborhood to living in a garage 
behind the worst house in the neighborhood in terms of like livability and, you know, actually enjoying your driving experience. Now, here's the question. Would you sell a really nice 911, let's say like a, like a, a Carrera or something, like a 89 Carrera, yeah. would you trade your car or that car for yours? So if I already own the 911. If you already own the 911, would you give up that experience to have the uh, the E20? Here's the, this is obvious, this is the question, this is what I'm getting at. If you yeah. have a 911, the thing's worth 80, 90, $100,000. Do you think the driving experience of your car is worth selling the 911 for to have the M5 and then also have another thirty, forty thousand dollars in your pocket. I mean, currently in today's economy, I'd love another thirty, forty thousand in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one to answer. It, it is. It is. Um, it's. It's difficult because if you look at uh, an air-cooled impact bumper nine eleven, I'll have said this a million times in this podcast. They made three hundred thousand of them. Three hundred thousand. They made two thousand two hundred forty-one of your car. Do you have a tan interior or a black interior? Uh, it was originally tan. It is now black. Okay, so you got a black interior, which is awesome because th they're all tan, which is awful. So you got the yep. black interior. I think <laughs> I posit that your E28 M5 is cooler than all of the average impact bumper and early 911s out there. So it's really funny, right? Like, I think today it's maybe hitting an inflection point where all the inflated, you know, all boats rise when the, you know, waves go up or whatever the heck that analogy is all the 911s are expensive and people are starting to realize potentially that like oh wow there are a lot of these there was a lot of guards red on black you know with the little uh rock chip things on the side with the yep. whale tail like okay maybe i'm over this um i think it's starting to get to the point where people are recognizing like how rare and how valuable the e20 and 5 is um i've definitely noticed that in terms of the parts community right so that's for sure that's the most tax that i ever pay um but there's also if you go back to like the early 2000s um, and to kind of jump on like, I guess my dad's shoulders for a second, when he was buying the M5, when he originally bought it, uh, he's not the original owner, but he bought it in about 2000, 2001. Uh, he was cross shopping, you know, 930s and G-Body 911s the whole time sure. because that was 100% the crossover of these are the same price. These are five to 10 grand. I can get a nice one of this. What a this. crazy and, different driving experience you're choosing between, right? I mean, yeah. Well, here's the thing. So I had came into the world uh, a couple of years before that. So my mother was very against him buying a 930, even though he really wanted them because grew up in Southern California. That's the car to have. Sure. Um, especially as like a young family, you know, executive type kind of persona, right? Like you want to have the cool turbo 911 to drive to work. Um, well, obviously I existed. So that's a very uncomfortable and unfortunate fourth seat or back seat. So the M5 came into play and it became a question of, okay, well, I can't really afford the M5 yet. So I'll work a little bit harder. I'll save a little more money and then I'll buy the M5. Which costs which more than, did it cost about. more than the 930? Yes. At the time. Yeah. Okay. That was his cross shop for a while, which is very funny because nowadays, absolutely. I mean, 930 is like what, 150 grand every, every day, every minute, every day, you more can, than that. And more than that. Yeah. It's gotten, that's crazy. There was a, just recently a, a silver. 1989, I think it, well, it was, I think it was 89. It was the last year of the Carrera with the G50 gearbox, okay. silver or a linen. It's a li called linen, but it's just silver with like, I think silver black interior, 97,000 miles, $155,000 for a Carrera. Wild. Wild. 
So I was wow. thinking, like when I was doing this podcast, I was thinking about how I was going to price things or whatever. I was just thinking that's point three nine eleven dollars because you could buy you could literally buy three E twenty eight M fives for that really nice ones, really nice ones. Yeah. Or you could buy one yep. and have a hundred grand to do something with. See, that's the tough part, right? So I think when you bring value into it, the problem is, is that like if the M5 disappeared tomorrow and had no insurance, I probably wouldn't buy another one. But at the same time- That's because you've already had the experience though. That's because you've already had the experience. If you you hadn't had the experience with the M5, maybe it would be on your plate as something, you know, it's just, it's it's part of who you are now, you know, right? Because new experiences or the desire for new experiences sometimes drives intent and- since you've already had it, it's not a new experience. Obviously, it's not something you would look for because there's no sentimentality, sentimentality attached to a new M5, right? So, okay, yeah. So I'll take that a step further. I think if I hadn't grown up around it and I didn't grow up in the backseat of one and didn't have any sentimental approach to like what my parents had or what my dad had at the time when I was young, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be on my radar at all. It's not really like the perfect choice, which I think is why it's also not very expensive. Like, it's a very interesting car, but it does not check the box. And I just made this comment um, last weekend. It does not check the box of being like a gorgeous car you'd shove in a museum. There's a lot of people I know that they buy them and they stuff them in a museum or, you know, they have a really cool house hanging off a cliff and, you know, 17 mile drive, right? The absolute dream. But then they put a car like this on the edge with the glass in the Ferris Bueller kind of garage. I don't understand that because I don't think it's a very attractive car and really at its heart, 99% of people drive by and think like, oh, what's that crappy old, what is that, Cressida? Five series? I don't even know. Never right. seen it. Yep. Don't care. It's old. And the only reason it's nice to them is because it's shiny. And they're like, okay, well, it's not destroyed, so it must be unique, but I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe this guy's just weird. <laughs> like, That's 100% the vibe it gives off. The problem is, is like, I think that has a lot to do with the value because when you look at an old 911, everybody, whether they're a car person or not, when it's a shiny old 80s or 70s 911, it has the shape. It looks like the new one. They understand it. It doesn't look like anything else. And it's very interesting to them, which I think is why they're expensive. That's my guess. I think that's true. We talked a little bit about the social media feedback loop of the 911 too, you know, and having it just <clears> like this, it's constantly there. So because it's constantly there, it's even more constantly there. And it's just this demand <clears> thing that has just driven the price up so much. Dude, I really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. I got to let you go. Of course. Keep it short this time. Uh, where can people find out more about AC Solutions and what you guys do for air conditioning for vintage BMWs? Yes. Thank you for the uh, shameless plug. Um, my personal Instagram would be Austin underscore Cacabo. Uh, that's C-A-C-C-A-B-O. And then the business, um, we build everything from compressors to brackets to lines for your E30, E24, E28. So full Sandin R134 conversions. Uh, check us out at acsolutions.co. Awesome. Check it out if you are hot in your BMW and don't want to be hot anymore. Air conditioning is king, <laughs> and uh, I'm totally planning on having air conditioning in my Trooper whenever I get that thing done. I've got to, I've got to figure it out. It had AC before. I can't imagine it not having AC now. And uh, it's, oh, just, it's just easy. too bad I'm that ready. you know what you should do is the guys that designed the one AC system for the 911, it sucks. Okay. It's not good. Just saying, hmm. there's a market opportunity there. It's horrible to install. And it doesn't work very well. So look into it. Every, have you tried it? Uh, I, I have not tried it, but I've been around shops as they're installing it. And I've heard reviews. So it's interesting. It, it, it blows cold most of the time, you know, but like okay. it still is like it's an electric system. That's just terrible. 
just option oh, there gotcha. option there for you anyway right. dude thanks uh, for coming i appreciate it uh we'll see you on social excellent chris thank you yep. much pleasure all right last car for the day jake jake yeah no i'm, well, I'm just I'm, making I'm, sure you're still here you look like you were in another dimension there for no I'm, I'm just waiting to be vibed let's vibe <laughs> i'll vibe you right now jake have you ever heard of folded paper car design Folded paper car design. This is like origami, but you make cars instead of birds. Okay. I hadn't either because clearly you haven't. (laughs) That's a no. Imagine the 1960s where cars are round. Yeah. Flowy. Yeah. Beautiful. Organic. Organic. That is correct. Things were designed freehand. Mm -hmm. The lines seem to have penned with a flick of the wrist with a brush rather than a pencil. Yeah. In the 60s, Giorgio Giorgio was in the midst of an epic run with Bertone, designing things like the Fiat 850 Spider, the Ferrari 250 GT Bertone, the BMW 3200 CS, and even one of the Mustang concepts. During the year 1966, things would change forever in the car world. Giorgio would design the De Tomaso Mangusta. This is a car that is far superior in design. Not the Pantera. The Pantera came a little bit later. Okay. The Mangusta looks very similar. It's a much more beautiful car. This is a car that's far superior in design than a Pantera. And while neither is the uh, car I'm talking about, it was the beginning of Giorgio's folded paper aesthetic. This does look better than a, a, a Pantera. It, it does, doesn't it? By a lot, yeah. This design was birthed on the cusp of the modern technological age. In the 70s, synthesizers started being used in music. The birth of modern computing began with the world's first general microprocessor, the Intel 4004, which came out in November of 1971. That ha- how many individual bytes of RAM? One. Yeah. I don't know. Not bad. <laughs> the Voyager program was executed, setting oh, yeah. the golden record out into the depths of space. Which we talked about on a previous episode, Chris. That's right. In 1976, the Cray supercomputer came to be. Slide rules were replaced by calculators. Yeah, that was a big deal. The VHS and Betamax wars begun. Oh, man. Molecular biology, bacteriology, virology, and genetics achieved their modern forms in this decade. Atari entered the home, giving birth to the golden era of gaming and the birth of a multi-billion dollar gaming industry. Yeah, that was it. Fiber optics came around in 1970. It's a big decade for revolution. Also... 9-11 9-11 kind of made its waves in the 1970s as well. Porsche yeah. in general. Yeah. Just don't want to leave that out. I want to be fair. No, you're right. In the design world, we 70s, gone were the rounded, pretentious curves of previous iterations. Pretentious? Why are curves pretentious now all of a sudden? They are at the time. If you're like in the 70s and all this, you got a calculator and slide rules are garbage, all the flowy it's not round. It's pretentious, but I'd say it's maybe old-fashioned, right? It's not cutting edge. Yeah, but if you're owning like a f- old Ferrari with all the curves, that's you. Yeah, he's okay. You. I get it. These are replaced by flat surfaces and razor-sharp edges. Design became geometric, and the organic, flowy romanticism of the 60s was gone, except for the 911, which maintained its bubbly, round shape. Just going to throw that in there. That's true. Suddenly, in just a matter of years, organic, flowy, feely nonsense was out, and people wanted the hard, sharp, and analytical. This yep. is the birth of folded paper design. And if you still don't get it, let's dial in on the year 1972. Okay. Jake? The year of your car, by the way. Overcrest listeners, I posit to you that the Lotus Esprit Turbo Series 1 and 2 uh-huh. is a better vibe for the money 
than an air-cooled Porsche 911. Oh, yeah. I would agree. 100%. Just, just For the money, absolutely. Look at it. Pull it up on your phone right yeah, now. No, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, series I'm, 1, Series 2, doesn't even matter. Yeah. This thing was a product of its era more than most other cars. It has a legendary classic wedge shape of the cars we adore, like and the Lancia Stratos. Do you know there's submarines? Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And, and uh, the, the spy Bond. who... Uh, Is it the spy who loved me or... I don't remember, but I'm it was look it up quick. It was a Bond car. Yep. Which automatically is cool, right? Is that a vibe point? I think that is a vibe yeah. point. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh the wedge shape was of cars like we the spy like, who Lan- loved me. Yep. yep. Lancia Stratos and the Lamborghini Countach. Mm-hmm. This was a new era for car design, and it was epitomized by this car. It has the famed British handling of Lotus. They made around four or five thousand of these. I couldn't be bothered Wait, to catch. So what's your pick? The Spreet? Uh the no the turbo series one or series two okay I, not the yeah the Lotus Esprit yes okay series I'm still one, hung up on the Dimatusu Mangusta <laughs> man that's a good looking car good looking car I couldn't be bothered to calculate how many of these they made there wasn't enough blood left in my brain it had all evacuated <laughs> to the premises elsewhere every time I looked at one <laughs> <laughs> I get it yeah specs I that don't really it. matter to me but here they are it was powered by a 2.2 liter. Four-cylinder turbocharged engine yep. producing 210 horsepower and 200 pound-feet of torque. Zero to 60 time of six seconds and a top speed of 150 miles per hour. They made less than 1,000 Series 1s. I know, man. You could have one of these. 718 Series 1s and just under 1,200 Series 2s. Yeah, okay, so let's look at, wow. I mean, 40 so grand. So you're not going to see one of these again. No, 40 grand. Dude. The Series 2, like the final rendition of it, is the Turbo Esprit Essex edition or whatever. It's the yeah. blue one. Yeah, with the turbo on the side. Yes. It is that how, is so rad. How, like, 70s, 80s is that? 1980, that's just right there. I mean, it is the epitome of that wedge shape that we love. Yep. It is absolutely it. Vibrating. Obviously, uh, I was in a hurry. I didn't write one down. At least eight and a half. At least, I would say, wait, maybe I did write one down. Hold on. Oh, yeah, I got a vibrating for this one. What is it? Seven out of ten. That's it. That's, I'm just going to delete that and put eight because I want to. At least eight. It's my document. No one sees it, but now it's an eight. Eight out of ten. Yep. Iconic design. Rarity and low production numbers. Lotus handling. Best car at 99% of cars and coffees if you show up in this thing. Yeah. And if you don't show up at cars and coffee, you just want to go drive it, it's going to drive like an absolute dream. And they're interesting, the seating position in these, from what I could tell. Um, I haven't sat in one. I was just, you know, armchair driving from the internet is that when you're sitting, you're actually turned a little bit to the left. Yes. is a right-hand drive. Turn a little bit to the left towards the center of the car. Well, you so know what? Actually, I did that. Yeah. It's the pedal box. Yes, but it's also they they wanted you to be seeing it in such a way. I don't think that's true. I that's think what it's, I, that's your what feet I read. have to go somewhere. It's a small car. There's a wheel right there, so they got to cant your legs towards the center. Therefore, No, it's not body. just the legs. It's the seat, too, yeah, and well, the steering. It's yeah, everything. The, It'd be uncomfortable just the legs. Were All right, there. for our take on this one, yes. I wanted to talk to a designer because I think that the design of this car is, yeah, is one of the best parts of this car. So we have Paul House, who is a designer at McLaren. Now he is an artist and, and, and does uh, art pieces of cars. Right. They're absolutely yeah. beautiful. I will leave a link in the show notes so you can check that out. He was on a previous episode too. Yes, check that out. Really, I love, love, love talking to designers. It's absolutely phenomenal. All right, Paul House. Paul House, man. Hey, thanks for coming back on to hang out with us again. It's great to have you here and see your face this time. No worries. Yeah, technology's moved on, eh? Yeah, I hope it's everything <laughs> but, um, yeah, great you back. hoped and dreamed it would be. I hope it's everything you'd, all your <laughs> dreams have come true. 
I'm beyond. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about all these cars, and and I mentioned to you off off air what they are, and the one that I wanted to specifically talk to you about because I think the design of the car is one of the reasons why it is so good. Because if you look at the performance of the Lotus, uh, the Lotus Esprit Turbo, the performance is okay, right? It's got a turbo thing to you know. 2.2 liter thing. Lots of cars. The performance isn't exemplary. The handling as a Lotus, I hear I have not driven one, is good. Um, but the design yeah. of that car is phenomenal. When you look at the car, Series 1, Series 2, why is that design so striking and so good? And if you can speak to the the concept of folded paper design too, I didn't have, like, I, I tried to find information about that, but it's really lacking out there. Like, I understand what it is. But if you could extrapolate or unpack that concept for us, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, yeah. The Esprit's such an iconic car. I think even um, even if it hadn't been used in James Bond, um, you know, as the as the swimming car, um, you know, Shajaro did such a credible job of of that car. It's um, it's simplicity done well defined, like it is. Yeah, simplicity is really hard to do well. Right. And um, with that car, you know, there's you can you can draw it with, you know, only a, a couple of lines. A few. There's not many cars you can kind of really uh, define by a few lines. And um, is that like economy of design? One of them. Yeah, I think it's just the, 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 getting the balance of of all the elements, you know, proportions, um, everything absolutely bang on, you know, soup that, that the Esprit, the series one Esprit has got such a short rear overhang, you know, short rear overhang, long front, you know, that's the, that's the template for, um, modern mid engine supercars. Right. Um, and you know, they sort of, obviously the, it all started, you know, the sort of, if you want to call it folded paper, I mean, I'd, um, I'd argue that there's, uh, there's no such thing as a straight line and um, it's kind of hard to describe it as folded paper um, as all of those cars from that era, you know, the sort of wedge, the wedge designs had an amount of curvature, even the Esprit. Um, I've painted a couple um, and actually it's very close to straight line, I must admit. <laughs> um, but it's um, no, it's just, it's such a, it's such a striking thing, you know, and um, when they started, um, you know, the wedge movement started in the late 60s um, with Shijaro, Gandini, um, Pininfarina were obviously involved as well, doing doing a few things. I'm not a I'm not a historian, so I won't try and name the cars and get the dates exactly right. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there was the um, I think Shijaro did the, oh, was the the Maserati boomerang in like early 70s, like 71, 72, yep. um, which I think is one of the best wedge uh, concept cars that that was done um there's several others like the uh if you want to have a look if sort of listeners want to have a look up look at the alfa romeo carabo as well which was done by gandini um super super cool there's just they're really experimental you know you think late 60s there are still things like you know e-types rolling around the mura would was only launched in sort of late you know 67 and then all of a sudden there's this like influx of what happened crazy, why, sharp why wedge. was that what caused that revolution i kind of a in the in the episode i kind of talk about the just the technological revolution that happened in the 70s in terms of no more calculators yeah. no or i'm sorry no more slide rolls we have calculators we're going to space there there's fiber optics we're like doing all these different things was did it did the 
the shift in society's perspective of what was um, modern changed so fast. Is that what caused the, the drastic shift in car design? Yeah, I don't know. As I say, I'm, I'm not a historian and I wasn't I there, but you know, I'd imagine it's like, um, you know, there's there was a sort of a lot of stuff going on in architecture, I guess, you know, sort of the modernist or postmodernist movement. Um, I, yeah, it must have been a really exciting time to be alive, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Um, there's probably a lot of substances used as well, which might have helped. Um, but I don't know, man. It's um, It was just a real, I guess, a shift, you know, there's been sort of soft organic design for for a long time you know since the since the post-war you know sort of aerodynamic aerodynamics in cars low drag you know all that all that sort of thing had been um, had been shaping cars since you know well, really pre-war there's a few art sort of art deco streamlined pre-war cars you know um i say pre-39 um and everything was was round up to that point um and then yeah just all of a sudden i guess there's you know car design was beca- in europe anyway obviously there'd been a you know, car design was a, a huge thing in, in America in the 50s and 60s. Um, but in, in Europe, it was very much kind of coach building um, and small studios until that point. And I guess, you know, car design was really starting to take off um, as a as a as a as a career and as a as a as a job in in the late 60s, early 70s, rather than being, you know, just sort of little coach builds and, you know, yeah. very mu- much more artisan. So there are these young people coming through, you know, I think, yeah, the, the you know Gandini and Shajaro, they and the whoever was at Pininfarina, um, were all in their twenties and just really like full of energy and and experimenting. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd love to. Um, you should get um, you should get Gandini on here one day and, and ask him. <laughs> yeah, man, that would be a get for sure. I would I would love to talk. To, I mean, I, I, I guess uh, you should look very, and see if he's anybody... very quiet. He's a very quiet um, man. Keeps himself to himself, as far as I can stand. Yeah. Understand. But, um, well, I think that's yeah. The guy's probably been hounded for the last, you know, legends like that get hounded. And I don't think yeah. necessarily think out, uh, designers and artists always. Uh, kudos to you to, for doing it, but they don't always want to be poked and prodded and and questioned. And <laughs> you know, sometimes when you have to justify how you designed or drew or created something in a certain way. Yeah. Um. You know, I went to school for. Uh, 3D animation and special effects. And I was always an artist growing up. I did a lot of charcoal and paint and pencil and stuff. And people would be like, oh, wh- why'd you do that like that? And you always just want to go, I don't, I don't fucking know. I just did. Okay. I just did it. And then <laughs> it went from here, out my arm, and I Not did that. it. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be some like grand, oh, well, I, I was standing on this mountain and in some place with Shire after the name, fill in the blank Shire, and there was a mountain, and it was green, and I was standing by this tree, and I had this monolithic thought, and then I went home and drew the car. Like, it's, it's sometimes it just happens, right? It just comes out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes, obviously, you, know, you do get divine inspiration, but, yeah, sometimes you're searching for ideas, and you kind of just, you know, just scattergunning, and most of it's drivel, and then you'll get one, ooh, that's kind of cool wonder what would happen with that and then you kind of th- you know you think about why you're doing it and how you can adapt that little spark into um into something cool that that works um that's kind of how music works yeah, too nice. isn't it like i remember playing guitar so, and yeah. you'd be jamming around and be like oh what was that riff and then you'd like you'd play it again and you'd be like oh and then you kind of play it again and kind of like, it seems like the same sort of concept yeah 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 i think so and it's, it's funny because i i often think um with music how the hell do people keep coming up with new 
cool stuff. I have no idea. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that references, you know, stuff from the, you know, well, from wherever. But, you know, how does that keep happening? I guess it's the same with, with art and design as well. It's just creativity. It's why it's so Yeah, it's, so the, it's the ever-changing human condition and how it's perceived by people. And it's, yeah. so it's just like constantly evolving. It's just this, you know, structure that just keeps getting added onto and the people live in this structure and then they just, their world is different than whatever world was on the floor yeah. below them. So they got to decorate it yeah, with their exactly. own stuff. Different perspective. Yeah. 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 So what do you think about so, my, my concept of the, of the nine eleven, and maybe speak to the design of the nine eleven <laughs> a little bit. And if, if you feel like it, you can tell me I'm right. <laughs> Well, it's it's hard because I don't know, man. I, I'm a huge air cooled nine eleven fan. Me too. Um, and for me, there's nothing much cooler than a than a hot rodded nine eleven, like early seventies nine eleven. But you go to events like I went. To, I remember the first time it really hit me. I went to Le Mans Classic. Uh, oh, I don't know, it was ten years ago, something like that. And uh, I couldn't believe how many there were. How many nine elevens? Like early 911s like all of them beautiful like dream 911s but there's like a hundred of them all lined up yeah i thought bloody hell <laughs> i'd never ever want to own 911 ever like yeah. it's just so common and when you go to places like that obviously you know not, not so common just um hooning around but um yeah i was like bloody hell so yeah so and i always like things that are a bit unusual um for me yeah, I, the the more unusual the better, and it doesn't have to be a beautiful, great design either. I, I like some really weird things. It's interesting. Um, like I've had conversations on, and I was just on a a buddy's Discord yesterday, and we were talking about you know why you would buy a certain car, do a certain car, and I happened to say the wrong word, which was then cherry picked and extrapolated into this whole huge argument. Of I said <laughs> talked about doing or doing something that no one else was had done. And immediately that was seized upon as, oh, you just want to be unique. You want to be special. You want to be your own little snowflake or whatever. And they just like seize that. And like five dudes like ran with this argument. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. It's, it's about <laughs> when you do something that hasn't been done or maybe you own something that not everybody has, the story that you have with that thing might be more unique because it might be more difficult to do something with this object or it might be more uh um it might test your your moxie a little bit more to do it in such a way you know people are like oh you just drive your 911 off road because you want to do it for the likes and and the clicks and i go well what about all the times i did it and showed nobody you know so there's all these different <laughs> things of like why do you do them it's not necessarily because you want to be special it's because the experience that you have with it is special i think yeah yeah, no, I agree. And I think also, um, I do think that being creative, um, I think creative people generally like things that are a bit different and not mainstream. Um, you like to sort of forge your own path. Like, you know, if, if I'm designing something, the last thing I want to do, the literally the worst thing anyone could say to you as a designer is, oh, that looks like such and such. Oh. And you're like, because you want to you know you want to you want to create you want to create something new and different and unique um and i guess that probably does filter down into my car choices um and that i don't want to drive a vw golf you know i don't i don't want it might be good 
might be the best car in the world, but yeah. I don't want to drive if if every other Tom, Dick, and Harry's driving it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think yeah, that's that's what's so great about car choices as well is that it's not only expressing your personality; it's it's it kind of I don't know. It depends on your on your background, like whether it's what you I don't know what your dad had as a kid as you're growing up, or uh, I don't know. You know, there's um, there's so many different avenues for for car choice. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it yeah, definitely trickles just, down from your from your life. Um, you talk about having cars not look like something else. I feel like there must be, and we're off topic, but I don't, I don't really care. So if there must yeah, be like. <laughs> when you look at the car design and you can see I'm trying to think of the name of the car it's a Mitsubishi sedan and I can't remember what it is but it looks the rear end looks just like an E39 for example uh, I don't right. know what it is but it doesn't matter so some cars look like other cars and usually the car that looks like the other car came after the other car and yep. is that as a designer is that something that comes down from up top be like hey this is the design language that we're trying to be a part of we want to be yeah. in this segment and do you just go oh, oh no and it, but you have to do it because some bean counter or whatever thinks that's the is that how that works or i think sometimes it does work like that you know the especially on in um if you've got a company that is you know let's say let I me mean, just take that example um i don't know which which one it was either but um you know mitsubishi you know a much more um more normal i guess car i can't think of, <laughs> of a polite word but you know like a, a very yeah. um yeah, yeah 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 sort of run-of-the-mill uh brand sure. you know very very good but it's not a luxury brand and they're wanting to aspire to be like bmw so you know they may well get either pressure from marketing or pressure from you know people high up to to sort of to yeah effectively copy but um to be inspired by and and capture the you know the customers by looking like more like a bmw and having that perception of of luxury and um of yeah it's interesting like more more designers don't it seems like people aren't taking risks anymore you know everything just looks like a half-used bar of soap and it's just i don't feel (laughs) like if you look if you look at like even the excuse me, the 80s and 90s, I feel like you could look at cars and there would be all these different cars. Or, like, I remember being a kid, sitting in the in the back seat and turning around and looking or seeing the cars oncoming, and I could go, that's a fill-in-the-blank, and then that's the car that it was. You could play the yeah. game, you could guess. Now it's a... I still do that. <laughs> I, I, but it's hard. But it's like, what, it hard, yeah. what egg-shaped thing am I looking at? What egg shape is that? Like, how do I define the difference between you know, a Kia and a Hyundai and a, and a, and a Ford edge and like all these different things that kind of starting to is, I think Hyundai might be doing a pretty good job of taking risks, but it seems. Yeah, they are. They are doing, yeah, doing a good job. Um, Is everybody scared? Well, you know, it's, it's different. No, I don't think everyone's scared. I think there's a, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit, I was, I was getting it for a while. I was getting very, um, disillusioned by by sort of the car design industry really which is probably a bad thing to say as a car designer but <laughs> never work again um but you know there was i think there's a there was a there was a period where yeah people probably were were worried about taking risks i guess also there's there's this um i've sort of I've talked about this before but it's there's this filtration of of and it's effectively evolution of of the car 
and we're at the end or you know we're we've gone the car's gone through a big evolution through you know all these different ideas what's the best route for the car to go down so it spewed out all these crazy different types of car whether it's you know um oh, i don't know like little k cars and sedans wagons jeeps jeeps that were off-road not luxury you know and and kind of you know there's just there's this whole mishmash of ideas but then gradually people are like well actually i want to be higher up and I want, and everyone's you know i really despise suvs but ever my my wife once likes it because she gets to sit high up yeah. um feel safe also it's uh we've got a seven seater so it's really handy la 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 um and we do live in a rural part of the country so going off road is actually helpful but it, it's like everyone is using these same choices i think there's also media pressure as well um so i what i'm sort of rambling on saying is that also design ideas you know there's less and less ideas there's more and more legislation more blooming technology that doesn't necessarily make your life any better it just makes it easier um and you know there's there's all these things that are just you know all the uh, so the sorry the all the technologies and legislation so all these radars lidars all these massive things that you'd actually see behind the bumper surfaces but yeah. they're huge things that have to be positioned in a certain place pointing a certain direction so it's got to drive you insane man it's oh man it's <laughs> it is a nightmare look i'm super lucky that in my career i didn't really have to deal with that on a you know what sort of trying to make a regular car look like a spaceship and you know sell millions of, of copies with all this technology i got to design a spaceship to look like a spaceship you know yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. i was given the best ingredients to to work with you know um everyone dreams of that so i you know count myself very very lucky and i'll take my hats off to everyone who designs regular cars because it's you know, it's bloody hard, I can imagine. All right, um, last question. Coming up, so. You look at the whole yeah. story arc of the 9-11 and its design language, yes. language and what it's be what it's become. Do you like what the 9-11 has evolved into and what it has become based on its heritage? Um, I do. I'm super glad that it's still around. Um, and if that's, if the, if the fact that it's grown twice the size um is the size of a small house now um if that's what it took you know to to survive and stay then great and you know this performance of those things now is just insane they are completely different beasts aren't they you know i'd, I'd imagine you've you've driven new ones as well um you know they're they nothing the like they scare me to death yeah <laughs> um they're, they're way too all, all cars are way too quick for the road now yeah. they just are you know i sound like a grumpy old man um i'm 40 in june so it's, i'll uh <laughs> i'm allowed to club. do that but you know they they, they are they are they're, they're too quick um and they're, and they're too good they're too quick they're too good to be exciting i think i drove and you know, i was lucky enough to drive quite a few um quick things while i was at mclaren um a g you know a gt3 um which i drove was insane like you pin it down a a slip road onto the onto the dual carriageway it's incredible you know it's revving around to nine and a half thousand it sounds like a banshee it's just insane and then you're like oh that was that was exciting for two seconds because yeah. i'm now doing way over the speed yeah, limit cause, cause and then the jail. rest the rest yeah. of the time the rest of the time it's boring as hell um i'd much rather be in your smelly old 911 yeah um but that's just me <laughs> yeah i mean anything at, uh, well, anything at its limit 
is fun, but it's better when the yeah. limit is. Yeah, I was in the yeah. the W one fourteen, and that was great. You know, yeah. slow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's um it's it's progression, isn't it? And um, like I say, it's this this distillation and evolution of of products. Everything has to get faster, better, quieter. It has to, or you um, can't sell cars. And if you can't sell cars, you're not in business anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now, but design-wise for the 911, I think they're I think they're on a on a good path at the moment. You know, they are trying to do some sort of make it look more mod, make it look modern. You know, some of the some of the form language, some of the lighting te- technology. It's good. You know, I think um, anything you change, a, yeah. Um, I'd make it smaller. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> some of the sections I think are you know a bit a bit chunky and clumsy, but that's. Be- because it's such a big car i think you know it's really hard to hide the mass and the volume um at that scale um so they've done no, some they're, interesting they're tricks with the fenders you know to, to like the, especially yeah. the front fender to make it seem like that 911 shape even though it isn't there's some real weird visual yeah. stuff that if you walk around that car yeah. and really focus on it you can see some odd stuff yeah, yeah. genius and to, stuff, be a, really. to be a designer at porsche you know that's that, hey, design the best version re- of the best thing. Make it make the best thing <laughs> yeah. that everybody thinks is the best thing. Make it a better best thing. Yeah, make it look, <laughs> and it's got to look like that best thing, but it's got to be completely new. Yeah. So you know, really, yeah, really <laughs> difficult. I wouldn't want to work there. <laughs> but um, and have you seen that um, the Porsche Unseen book? Um, there's a book that was published last year or year before. Um, so it's all kind of behind the scenes um, stuff from the Porsche Design Studio, um, and it's amazing. There's some such cool stuff, um, little mid-engined like 904 things, um, but like super cool. And you can see that that's led on to, you know, the new. So it's all the all the onto the new 911. So it's all these um, effectively concept cars that never got shown. They're just design yeah. studies within the studio that then feed and provide ideas for the for the production cars um it's all those little it's all those little guitar riffs that led into the whole song yeah dude yeah yeah. thanks for coming on and hanging out with me man i know it's been short but we'll probably have to talk again someday and we can hang out a little bit longer i feel like we could go on forever yeah definitely well thanks for uh (laughs) thanks for thanks for somewhat agreeing with me i appreciate that that goes a long way (laughs) no worries chris i'll uh, i'll catch you soon okay cheers mate all right. Many thanks to Paul for coming on, hanging out, and basically making me correct. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Yes. Actually, it's... recording this before I even talked to him, so I don't know if I'm right, but uh... yeah. What if it? Yeah, we'd have to re-record if he wasn't, but I'm sure he would. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, guys, this is all quite a vibe. This right? is all tongue in cheek. Okay. Is it? A little bit. Why? A little tongue, little cheek. Don't like have fun with this. Okay. Please don't send me emails that you hate me. Because I feel the way that I do. Maybe send them so I can no, argue with but you. It but it is very true it that is very for true. the money, these are much better value like, for cool and vibe. Every single one of these cars. Every single one of these cars. Yes. It, fucking awesome. They're all awesome cars. Yeah. They all cost a third. Honorable mention for the Daytomosa Mangusta, though. Man, that thing is you, you could get one. sexy. You could get one. Yeah. Could, that that might be my So all these action. cars that I, I mentioned today are around, you know, Forty to sixty thousand dollars yep. somewhere. Yeah, so that's kind of where the pricing is at on this. Things do get a little bit expensive. Expenser. Expenser. They're, they are expensive, which is a new invented word. In another, <laughs> in the later episodes, we talk about some more expensive options. Oh, the, and okay. E- and even some more rare options. I like but that. cars that are even rarer that you can still sell your air cooled nine eleven and buy today. 
You know what won't cost you 9-11 money, though? What? 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 Is becoming a member of a driver's club. Yeah, that's and like, that is a vibe all in itself. Yes, that's like how many 9-11 is that? Like point zero 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 five. Yeah, yeah. It's $5. That's right. $5 and guess what a you month. Could, you know what you could be doing right now if you, were, if you were a driver's club member? What? You could be watching this live. That's right. You could be watching it live, hanging out in the chat, interacting with us, telling Chris he's wrong. It'd be great. Yeah. That's what I do, and now you can join me for as little as $5 I'm going to write a filter that says wrong and it changes it to right so chris you couldn't be more right (laughs) (laughs) it's just a voiceover (laughs) you're gonna pull me saying right and so it'll just be interjected but whenever you say right it won't make it wrong yeah so it'll just be right it's always right it's just always right yeah except for if if jake is written into the sentence it's gonna have to be a complex filter because if it says jake (laughs) we will allow it to be wrong anyways driver's club carlos if you want more of this just uh, what would you even call our banter? I don't know. Idiotic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, head over to overcrestproductions.com slash drivers club there for as little as $5 a month. You have access to our entire back catalog of exclusive episodes. We have a lot of my mini histories, overcrest shorts, we're calling them. Yep. We have uh, extended interviews. Extended interviews, stuff yep. that's never been heard, like interviews with Akim Anshite, head that's of design right. at Bugatti. You yeah. want to hear that interview? Awesome stuff. Drivers club. That's right. You can get shirts. You get early access to merch. You get a discount on the rally, which basically pays. Look, guys, do the math. (laughs) You get a discount on the rally. It almost pays for a year of the. You're right. Or a half a year of the entire Drivers Club membership. Plus, you get stuff. Exactly. Hello. Why wouldn't you? And you get to feel good. Yeah. Which is, I went, so now that I drink coffee, stopped by Caribou. It was like six bucks. Oh, yeah. For an Americano. Yep. It is less to support this show. Despite all the inflation, we have not increased the cost You're of the right, driver's we club. Haven't. Come on, guys. Come hang out. Support the show. We would absolutely love it. And you can get some great stuff, too. All right. So, so that's, that that's was, the four. That was the four this week. Yes. For the cars on the vibrating. Yes. Instead of a 911. That's right. You realize if you go back to episode like three through eight, we had a segment that I did called Instead of a 911, where I tried to convince you of cars you could have that were cooler than a 911. Yeah. And you a disagreed is, with all of them. Well, we'll see what happens when I get to the end of all three of these. Okay. okay. When we, once we like wrap this up and have a conversation. One thing we'll I will say, besides design, besides heritage, besides everything else that we didn't talk about, yep. was I'm, and I know you're a big audiophile guy, but the sound of a car. Oh, it matters. For me is almost more than the way it looks. Mm. 100%. Okay. So that's the only thing that's going to be taken down a couple notches on some of these. Okay. Right. Which... Because a flat six is just so iconic. It sure sounds is. so damn good. It does. It's, it's hard to beat that. It's you one of the best would be, of all beat time. beat that, though? What? Well, this DiTomasto Mangusta had a 302 Ford high output motor. Uh, so, okay. Just so an American for a V8. Second, for a second, let's, we have time. So let's talk about why the Pantera and the Mangusta did not make this list. Why? And They're amazing. That right there is the reason. You I do don't not like want cheap horsepower that sounds amazing. I don't want to trade my 911 with a flat six engine for an Italian car with a motor that also came in a boat. Why? That's so great. It is so dumb. It I just sounds I, amazing. If I'm going to have an Italian car, Yo, it's going to be a small displacement, high revving engine, not a and Ford. And then you're going to break down on the way to Alaska, Dude, uh, and it's just going to be. Well, our friend didn't break down on the way to Alaska. Know, but look, it has a, what is it, a Cleveland? It's got a, like a 351 Cleveland. No, it's a 302. 
Okay. So, so well, the D Tomosa Pantera has, had, a, has a Cleveland. had the 351, which is either a Cleveland or a... It's, a, it's pretty sure it is. There's another manu- or There's You're another thinking plan. of Windsor. Yes, the Windsor I think it's a Cleveland That was engine. the truck It's motor, just though. not... That doesn't interest me. Really? It doesn't, See, man. it interests me. Like, you look at you look at the car, and you're like, wow, this thing looks great. And then you pop the hood, and it's got, like, a round, like, air cleaner from O'Reilly's on it. It just doesn't have the vibe, man. Oh, for me, that is the vibe. The, vi- the, the round air cleaner sure. with the chrome Must- top and it's the little wing nut. It's a muscle car. Torque. The sound rumbling at a stoplight. Everyone's like, oh, my God, that thing could eat me. And then it looks super sexy. I don't know, man. You you were a powerboat guy, right? Like you like sure. the exhaust burbling out the back. Yeah, in an American boat. Yeah, but this is the best of both worlds. It's a boat car, and that's why it's the best of both worlds? Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. What's the, uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? I think this is so cool that you have a like old V8 that is cheap to work on, right? You can get parts for it anywhere. And it just looks so exotic. If I was going to do that, and it now, came okay, this way. it's so, not like a kit car I, where you're putting a V8 into like a Lamborghini lookalike. I think I don't remember if I put any. Let me scroll down here. I have like a bunch of cars that I'm considering. Um, some and some honorable mentions. I don't have. I know you don't like Detamosas, but I do. I really like these. I don't have any American cars on this list, but I have really been looking at. I want to do. An American muscle car. Yeah. I really want to do yeah. an American muscle car. Should we talk about this now or on the news episode? Might Let's as well. switch to news. Switch, take it to news? Yeah, which, by the way, we're bringing back news. We're bringing back news, which you, if you already listened, the news already came out and we already oh. talked about that, so you're being redundant. Well, You don't fine. know what the future holds. We're creating the future right now. <laughs> this is like, you know when you talk about time travel and there's like these little branches that split off? Yeah. You just split off a oh, new... we're in another branch. We're in a new, new, yes. another branch of reality. This is now our reality. All right, guys, we will see you <laughs> next week. Keep vibing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Take care.